welcome to Colors of the Dark. I'm your co-host, Rebecca McKendry, and with me is Elric the Cane. Elric the Krabs. Krabs! Oh, I don't think I want to have Krabs as my middle name. <laughs> I think that's what happens to when you're, you know, 15 and things go wrong. So no, let's let's dial that back a bit, but I am excited <laughs> to talk about Krabs. Yeah, so we're jumping right in here. Actually, before we jump in, how you yeah, doing? Was, how was, was your a little week? Quick. You went to uh, Phoenix to see my favorite person in the world, Monty. Yeah, I think it's been like, it's weird because we've been recording this, like it, it feels like that happened a couple weeks ago, but yes, I was just at uh, the Phoenix Film Festival and I got to, um, especially the sidebar of the Phoenix Film Festival in conjunction with the International Horror and Sci-Fi Film Festival uh, program by our good buddy, Monty Yazzi. Which is and a great festival. I've played there really cool. um, with shorts and I've had a feature there before and we went down. It was just a great festival across the board. Yeah, and we and I stayed close, so I just drove out there and I saw I saw a ton of movies, I, a whole bunch that we're going to talk about. A couple that I thought were okay, and then a couple that what one I would say is close to the best horror film of the year. And Ooh. so it's a nice a nice mixture of things. But yeah, they did a great job, and I was only there for like one weekend, so I'm sure there's some really cool stuff I missed during the week. But yeah, Phoenix. Yeah, you know, I always like going to Phoenix. I like Phoenix. It. I've long yeah. said, you know, that's that's one of my potential retirement cities, just because yeah. I like the weather. Um, which is crazy because like most of the time when I've gone down for the festival that you were at, you roll in and it's like 120 degrees and somehow I'm like, I like this. Um, but well, I don't you only like have it. two years left on the clock. Remember and then your retirement city. You Wait, that's it. Am I retiring yeah. in two uh, years? I, I thought that, okay. Where that's not where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> I thought there was a new economy and everything. I thought this would be easy. Yeah, yeah. I'm Cashing a... out our Patreon and going to retire, right? That's how this works. I work as a professor and um, a mostly indie director. Neither of those really get your retirement in your, like, 40s. Um, so say I'm probably going to be here for another couple decades, I have to figure. Um, so, yeah. Um, still, well, I'm sure our listeners will be happy about that. I, yeah, I'm so. sure. Um, but what were some of the good things that you saw there? I, well, shall we start with your crabs? crabs? So Elric's got crabs. Um, well, let me set it up because I start before you. I only set up, I won't set up the story, but just set up the screen. This is one of those ones where I, I only went to it for you. I was like, I was like, I saw it on the schedule and I was like, I don't need to see a movie called Crabs. Yes, and I do. was like, but, but Becca will be mad that I had a chance to see a movie called Crabs and I didn't see the movie. So I at least can go and tell her if it's good or not. Um, so that's what pushed me into the theater. Um, and I will say this was definitely uh, uh, an experience made a lot better by being around a lot of infectious laughter and people who really, you know, really had a good time. It was a good, it was a good crowd pleaser of a film. See, I disagree. So Elric um, had had gone in to see Crabs, not knowing that earlier that week I had seen Crabs pop up on some of the film festival schedules. And I had emailed the distributor professing my love for Crabs and how I had long been waiting for a Crab horror film and asking if I could get a screening link um, so I could watch it simultaneous to him watching it at the festival. And um, my friends at Raven's Banner obliged. And uh, so I was able to watch it simultaneous, which was just awesome. I just assumed you had an in with Radu. <laughs> so, Radu uh, doesn't know. <laughs> that was very interesting. I have no idea where Radu, the character, is from. Like, the the accent is very ambiguous. I, do, I don't know if they drop which nation Radu's from. I didn't it. catch that either. I spent much of the movie questioning if it was like, is this racist? Is this xenophobic? I don't know. There's this foreign character in it with a very strong accent that you don't know where it's from. He's um, probably much older than the other high school students. Yeah, he's like, 
he's like the foreign exchange student who looks to be in his late 30s he also feels like the guy that in the like in the first pass you're watching they've written the script and they start shooting and it feels like he he did he had two scenes in the script and he's and he steals both of them. So suddenly he's in every scene and keeps coming back and more of the script. Because, I mean, the crowd I started in, people were dying. He's like, basically for, yeah, Balky crazy. from Perfect yeah. Season, where it is just this... Perfect Strangers, yeah. yeah. yeah perfect Strangers, sorry. Um, where it is just this this otherworldly creature um, who, who just really steals everything within that. He is funny. That. He was really funny. But the whole setup of Crabs, which I found, you know, you said that it was helped by watching it with a crowd. I watched this in, you know, basically in my living room by myself because, you know, I just couldn't convince my kids to watch crabs with me. Yeah. Um, and I still had an absolute blast. The whole setup. Also, there's quite a lot of sex at the There is, there is. Actually, I didn't even ask him on this one. Um, there's a couple times that I'm like, join me, kids. This one, I had seen the trailer and was like, this looks to be a little bit body as well. But it's basically this... Um, kind of just a horde of horseshoe crabs um, descends on this coastal town. And uh, it's on the same time that the teens are all having prom. And from there, it's kind of this group has to get together to fight them. And it goes like full kaiju at parts. Like as soon as you think like killer crabs, like it starts small and this, it goes for it. Um, The actual tone of this is kind of a combination of I'll say like, trauma e with an over-the-top comedy vibe like it's little very sharknado-ish yeah a little sharknado-ish but they own it like it's not like yeah. it's accidentally happening it's like they're intending this so it's kind of built in it's like baked into the script to be this and um it's got yeah so comparisons more. to um birdemic and i'm like no because they know what they're they're doing this on per- birdemic is totally accidental yeah humor this, they, they know this is played for laughs. Like yeah. they're playing it for fun. and They are straight up like doing all of these over the top characters yeah. and making this sexy character the way that she is. It's all played for fun. And then they have some characters that you can tell they're not playing for fun. Like our lead character is a teen boy in a wheelchair um, who's trying, he's big into robotics and he is not played for fun. He's like a genuine dynamic character and is likable and fun to follow throughout the whole script. Um, and then he's some surrounded by a town of kind of caricatures that are really played almost mocking sci-fi films at the same time as they're kind of embracing it and accepting it. Um, I had no clue what was happening at the end of this film. I have to tell you like, and I was really trying. Um, I have no goddamn clue what happened in the third act, but there were giant crabs. So I was just like, cool, we're in. Okay. Um, but I didn't yeah. even recognize them as crabs at the start. Cause I was like, wait, they look like stingrays. No, I got they're horseshoe off. crabs. Well, they explain halfway through the movie, then they have to do a quick, probably because these are unusual looking crabs. They don't look like the crab that in my mind is just the classic. Oh, crab. you're clearly not from a coastal region. So yeah, in Virginia, we have horseshoe crabs. They wash up on the beach all the time. Like that's what you're going to find. You'll find crabs occasionally, but the horseshoe crabs are what smell and they don't get like eaten by birds as much because they're mostly shell. So like literally you will find them all over the damn beaches. Um, But, but no, once you get in, once you get in, it's got some genuinely funny part. I got to say my favorite thing. It's, it's also my favorite thing on SNL. And it usually was when Bill Hader was on SNL. And if Bill Hader was on SNL doing a skit, especially the one where they're like all Californians talking about which freeway to take, yeah. there'll be a moment where I'll cut to one of them where you can tell they're about to laugh. And when <laughs> Radu was doing his thing, the main guy, the sheriff, there was a couple parts where it would cut to a wide and you could tell he's about to lose it. 
And you could tell it was being improvised because you could mm-hmm. tell they had no idea that this guy was going to say these things. And that kind of stuff always makes me laugh. So I, and the, some of the gore was really fun. It gets Yeah, the gore was great. Yeah, yeah, that was surprising because I, you know, kind of coming at it from, oh, it's like a sci-fi or a Sharknado perspective. You kind of affect the, expect the gore to be incredibly CG. And it's actually really well done and looks to be very practical for a lot of it's it. It's the kind of movie that will do certain effects like very CG to the point where it's obviously like a cheesy almost joke mm-hmm. and some of the blood things. But when it actually has the gore and, and like full makeup prosthetic type creatures, then it's going all in. So it's it's a funny mix. But uh, yeah, I look, I had a good time. I have no idea when this one's coming out, but I do think people... You know, people listening to this will know whether that's their thing or not. Straight. Yeah, away. I had an absolute blast with this, and um, yeah, don't go in expecting it to be the most brilliant thing. Kind of turn off your brain for a while and just enjoy a really um, fun trip into killer horseshoe crabs. Um. All right, bitch ass. What up, bitch ass? Um, is no, that no, from no, a movie? The next movie. Or that's the next movie. Is bitch ass. bitch ass? Okay. No, I thought. Come on, you're a bitch uh, ass. Why would, why would I do that? I would never do that. Um, yes. So the next movie <laughs> uh, is a is a film called Bitch Ass that I know played at South by, and this is the kind of movie that I was only bummer was I start with the wrong crowd. I start with old people. On it was like the morning session, and I know later in the week it was going to play the night session. And this is a 10 p.m. movie with young people, and it could play off the chart so this is called bitch ass uh directed by bill posley and if you look him up he's done some really funny um like comedian sketches and stuff on his on youtube there's one about where he does a gangster rap song about being a server and it's all about being a server in the in the in the world and it's really really funny stuff anyway uh, i didn't know much about him before but so this is a film about a gang initiation uh that goes wrong uh, and they all have to break into the house of this it's an urban horror film they have to break into this house of a guy who their parents' generation had bullied, and and there's all these stories, all these urban legends about who this person is. And so they're going to break in and they're going to take something. But what we start to realize is this person who was bullied when they're young has grown into kind of a, it's not Candyman, but it's obviously cut from that cloth. And what's weird, it's, it's a very interesting movie. It's basically a love letter it's going to, like, for the right people, I feel like this is going to be a real cult film. So it's shot where it almost feels like a lost storyline from Tales from the Quad Dead Zone. Mm-hmm. Like, it's that lo-fi. It's super lo-fi. And it feel and it's a, and it's a, it's not a, it's a black urban story that's inspired by things like Tales from the Hood is one of the big inspirations. You can see it. But it's not technically an anthology, even though it kind of feels like it, the way it's structured. Mm-hmm. Uh, it opens with Tony Todd. It's shot on, like, real lo-fi, like, video. It might even be VHS, the opening. And Tony Todd's narrating you know, very, very operatic saying, now you're going to enter the house of horror. So it's got that same throwback vibe. And then you get into these storylines and it has like interesting lo-fi animations between where it's, it's basically they, once they get into this house, the guy, when he gets them, I won't kind of ruin what he looks like and stuff, but he forces them to play a game and the game, they will either win or they'll die. And it's kind of a version of a paper, rock, scissors kind of style thing. And so that's what this whole film is. And it, and it starts giving you backstory to what happened in the past to him and one of the characters mom, but it's made like as a total indie. So it's like Mm -hmm. bare bones, but there's something about it that is really kind of charming. I think the structure makes it feel a little slow and longer than it is. But again, I didn't see it with the right crowd for this one. Um, But I think this is one that for the right person, who's like all of those things, like if tales from hoods, your jam and you want to see a film that, probably was inspired by it then this could be something to really look out for um 
and a great title. I just think the title's fantastic. You know, bitch ass is like who doesn't want to see a movie called bitch ass. That's a um, really good title. Yeah, no, it's really, but it was an interesting film. It's like it's actually one weirdly enough. I almost wanted to see it a second time after because I was like, uh, I need to see it with people who are like getting into it and just get that vibe. So, um, but yeah, so I thought this was interesting. So bitch ass. Excellent. Well, do you want to keep going with the festival or you want to circle back to it? Yeah, no, we can keep, I've got so many, so we'll, we'll keep going back and forth. Okay. Well, I'm going to jump into one that I will say, this is not true horror, but it's about a horror film and I had a lot of fun with it and I wasn't expecting to. This is The Bubble, which is currently on Netflix. This has been like one of the big film releases on Netflix from the past, I guess it's like two weeks. Um, I had seen the trailer for this and I thought it looked hilarious to begin with. And I have to say, I really like I'll call them meta films. I love films about filmmaking and they're a hard sell in Hollywood. Like Hollywood holds the general belief that no one wants to learn how the sausage is made. And it's hard to sell a film about the film industry. This was, um, I loved the setup of this, possibly because I was going through it when I shot Glorious last year. Um, But it is all about a, um, this is Judd Apatow movie. It's got his daughter in it as well. I hadn't seen her before, but it's also, it's pretty star-studded. It's got David Duchovny, Karen Gillum, Fred Armisen, Keegan-Michael Key. And it's also got a lot of really cool cameos, like Kate McKinnon pops up occasionally. Um, But the setup is that this film, um, Massive Studio has decided that they want to be the first ones back in production during COVID. And so they're creating a bubble and they're going through all these massive protocols and any actors who agree to go into this have to go stay at this hotel and they can't leave and only the people who are there can be a part of it. And they all have to be tested every day and still wear masks and face shields and it's the whole thing. Um, And they're in zones, which is what I got used to is like you're in all these different zones. So it's limited who you can interact with and you have to go into two weeks of quarantine in a hotel room before you can go into the film shoot. They all go into it and they are there making a horror film, Cliff Beast Part 6, which is about these giant killer dinosaurs. And so the movie, it's from the perspective, it's definitely an ensemble piece. It's from the perspective of the actors who are in quarantine and then go into this bubble, the handlers who are there trying to take care of them, the hotel staff who also can't leave. They're like trapped there in the bubble with them. The director who's played by Fred Armisen, who is like, I, I love the way that they did his character because it is very much like he shot a, a movie on his cell phone while working at Home Depot called Tiles of Love and one Sundance with it. And so he's now allowed to direct Cliff B6. Um, and it's That's just all of right. them. Yeah, it's about right. I was like, yeah. okay, accurate. Um and so it's it's just this kind of beautiful meta movie about a lot of Hollywood. And I have to say, I think my favorite scene, there was this scene where Fred Armisen's character, he's like going through all this stuff with the actors, where the actors are losing it. And they're having problems keeping everybody in the bubble because everybody keeps trying to leave. And he says to one of the producers, like, I don't think this is going to work. I don't think we can finish this. And the producer's like, oh, no, you got this. And then you see the producer literally turn and make a phone call and go, I don't think we can finish the movie. And it just keeps going up the chain to 
to the executive producer who's yelling at them like, I don't fucking care, you finished the movie. And it was just this beautiful like lip service scene that is filmmaking. So it is not directly a horror movie, but I had fun with this. This is another one where it goes kind of off the rails at the end and I lost track of exactly what was going on in the third act, but it got so bonkers I didn't know. Now is this about you or is this about these movies? Is there something (laughs) happening with you in the third acts of movies? I don't know. Both of those, um, both of them by the time the third act rolls around, I was like, this got crazy. Um, but yeah, I had, I've seen mixed on the bubble, but I found it fun. I thought it, again, just kind of turn your brain off for a little bit, but I thought it had some interesting stuff to say and having shot in a a bubble that was, it's pretty, um, it's definitely got a good poking fun at going with it. Yeah. This is the perfect segue because I also saw a filmmaking, uh, film and it's, Woo-wee. it's one of the best things you could see on a screen this year i don't know how it will play when people watch this thing at home so lux eterna uh by gaspar noe oh, this, is, this is from yellow veil i'm gonna put this out this was at the festival so this was gaspar's last movie so i actually have a, a gaspar noe double feature but one's not horror so i'll just only briefly mention it but lux eterna is really cool the thing is it's about 50 minutes long so i think there might have been some people at the festival who were confused about like what that is in terms of being a movie. Like if you weren't there for the Gaspar Noe of it, you might be confused, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really cool. So it's about, uh, it's all about filmmaking and it's basically starts with um, the actress Beatrice Dahl, who was the vampire in trouble every day that we, you know, the, the really savage vampire and Charlotte Gainsbourg. And they're on the film set playing themselves, have, sharing stories about just all the shit they've kind of gone through as actors. And they're talking about like co-stars and like, Oh, this one guy who was like rubbing up on my leg and he was trying to get off. Like it's, it's that kind of stuff. And it's really compelling. Like for like 20 minutes, you're just listening to these two actresses trading war stories and it's, and they're very unfussed about it. They're very French compared to like, if this was American, it'd be like, that guy should be canceled. Instead. They're just like, whatever, he's a loser. You know, it's, it's yeah. really kind of refreshing. Um, and it's really, you're really getting into it. And then suddenly you realize, Oh no, Beatrice Dahl's going to be the director and she's making a movie about witches and Charlotte's showing up to be the actress and then other and then some guys coming up to charlotte and being like hey uh, i just flew in i've also got a script can you be in my film and it's just doing all those kind of bullshit hollywood things but in this french world and then behind the scenes we find that the cinematographer is trying to kind of take over the movie because he doesn't believe in beatrice Dahl as a director and behind the scenes everything's kind of coming apart so you're kind of feeling this anxiety it's, it was pretty like all of gasper's stuff it feels like you're having some sort of anxiety attack uh while it's leading up to them filming the scene so and then the whole middle part of this, like for 15 minutes, is kind of okay behind the scenes, trying to make a movie very the playerish, and then suddenly they set the scene, and it's like Charlotte Gainsbourg on one on one stick, two other witches on other sticks, and then color flashes behind them, and then you're for about 10 minutes, it's just complete aesthetic and like color flashes, witches burning, filmmaking, like sound, Ooh. and there's a moment I'm not even kidding where, and I've heard multiple people after say the same. There's a moment where I go, oh, am I going blind? <laughs> like, like it's that much. This isn't like a subtle, oh, it's like Gasper doing a crazy. No, it's an absolute assault on the senses for a few minutes. And there's and you're looking at an image at one point that keeps going in and in and out. And, you know, obviously strobe warning and everything. And there is a moment where I actually thought it was my eyes were failing. But then I realized after everyone's experiencing this almost hallucination at the end. And then it just cuts to black and is over. And you're like whoa is that a movie what what the hell did i just watch so it's it's a real experience but i thought as a film about filmmaking it was really fascinating 
Um, and, was, and I get a feeling it's kind of like one of his in-between films that he made between, you know, Climax and the one I'll, I'll mention in a sec. Um, but man, it was cool. And and I loved it. I, I definitely noticed a few people wanting, you know, hassling Monty about uh, maybe wanting refunds or was that a real movie? And then other people were in utterly stunned silence for like two minutes. No one spoke at all. It was dead, dead quiet when it ended because people just, you don't, you don't know what you're getting. Um, so I'm excited for Yellowville, but there are some movies where it's like, no, please see this in the theater mm-hmm. because i just if you're at home and you're watching your tv flashing at you i don't know if that's that over i'd look away i yeah. know if i was doing it at home because i watched climax in the theater i remember sitting next yeah, to brian yeah. collins oh there, and yeah, you were there yeah. too yeah. Yeah, yeah um and it was an experience but i re-watched climax at home and it's not the same same like knife plus hard i've watched that yeah. in the theater and then i watched it at home and it's not quite as hallucinatory yeah but that I one at least watch. is more story based but you're right like the gaspar's ones are so visually um it's just such a key part of it so i would you know yellow veil is going to put this one out and i would just if you're into this kind of stuff mm-hmm. obviously and if you're not you just avoid it but but if you are this is a, this was a super cool experience and then last night just real quick because it's not horror um but this is a very anticipated film and it actually has a very strong horror connection of course uh so this one's gonna make me cry it's you're not alone and i will actually warn a lot of people off it only in terms of like i'm not sure as a society of uh, humans are strong enough for movies this emotional in a way but so vortex is the new gaspar noe film it comes out in may um, and it is really a masterpiece. Like it's, it's, it might be his best movie, but it's the total opposite of everything he's ever made. And I mean, complete opposite. Like there is no, no hallucinogenics. There is nothing showy. There are hardly even showy shots. There's one image. This is a very minimalist two and a half hour portrait of two, an elderly couple in France. Uh, one is got the onset of dementia and she's really struggling to even know where she is or what she's doing. And her husband, who has a heart condition, but he also has a mistress. I'll tell you the story behind that. It's actually pretty funny. He has a mistress, you know, who's also thinks about as well. And he's a writer. He's trying to write uh, probably on books on cinema. And you're literally watching this couple for a few minutes and then it split screens. And, the, and this is another reason why this movie will probably only work in theaters because the entire film is split screen. You're watching his story and her story, but often they're coming together in the same frame, but it's always on two distinct screens. I saw this um, at a screening at USC that you told me about, thankfully. And, um, and what was, I'll say one cool thing about it. It, This was a very challenging movie. And I would have thought if the room was full of young people, I would have thought there'd be so many walkouts, honestly, based on the kind of movie it was. And I was, I don't think that single person moved. And I was like, okay, that's fascinating with young people because it really isn't a film for young. It's a film that's really about these. And it's also about a young, their young son who comes in and he was a fuck up and a junkie at one point and he's struggling to know how to help them. And it's really stressful, but I'm burying the lead because what's utterly incredible. And I don't just say this as a huge fan of his, but Dario Argento in this film uh, gives a performance that he for plays me, the husband. Yeah, he's the husband. He's on on screen every second of this movie. He is as almost a, I would say he's on par with what Nick Cage did in Pig last year. He's that good. It's a real performance. It's not a you know, at first because the trailer there's a scene and the two of them are just saying oh hello 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 and I thought it was going to be oh that's all it is. He has to actually act like he has to do all this stuff about caring and and like like he has to do all these like monologues about but life. I mean he is 
phenomenal in this movie. And so like for an act, a guy who has not been an actor his entire career, he's just been uh, this incredible horror director. He, it was so interesting to see how much he, he gave everything. I was almost going to tweet like, Oh, considering how many times Asia Argento had to take her top off in Dario's films. It's, it's great that he takes his top off for someone else. Dario gets naked and does a shower scene in this. I'm like, yeah, go Dario. Uh, But it's, he's really good and it's really touching. And so the relationship, you really believe everything you believe on screen and, and it builds to, you know, some pretty devastating stuff. It's all pretty much real time. You know, it's not set over a very long period, a couple of days. Um, and, and it will ho- hollow you out. And I would warn, you know, people, a lot of people I know uh, this, this movie, you know, coming out of the pandemic and, you know, everything everyone's gone through will be tough, but, you know, just to know that Gaspar Noe almost died before he made this. He, he, he had a brain aneurysm and, and thought it looked like he was going to die in hospital and he survived. And then he came right out to make this film. So it's coming from a very much a place that touched the end and he's making this gentle, soft, it's still got a couple of hard edged moments that are pretty, but it's never doing it with the filmmaking. The filmmaking mm-hmm. has is completely subtle minus the split screen. Um, so you would almost not know it's him, but the credits and everything look like a Gaspar Noe film. But yeah, it could, it could be, his, honestly, it could be his best film in that sense. And so, you know, I wanted to make sure people are aware of it, even if it's um, not for them. But the Dario of it really, I, I, as a guy who couldn't love Dario Argento films more, and, you know, we got to, I got to host that Suspiria panel when we're in Texas mm-hmm. with him. I, did, I would never have known he would have something like this in, in him. To, to a performance like this in him because it's we've never seen him do it you know i still remember when we had him on fangoria radio and this is like 15 years ago or so it was when he was doing masters of horror and he had just done jennifer and we were doing an interview with him and he had a translator but he was trying to answer some of the questions himself and his english was definitely a little he knew a lot, but it was there were some things where you would see like him pause and have to kind of reformulate it. And he was trying to explain that Jennifer was cat-like. And he, I just remember him being like, she is cat-like. And then he was like literally pretending to be a cat hissing at us. And it so was the like, early acting. Yeah, the early acting of, of Argento being a cat. Um, well, so- well, on our last Patreon, I, I was talking about um, the, the Dario Argento world of horror documentary. So the timing was just fascinating because mm-hmm. I'd just seen this entire thing about him again. And just for people who don't know his stuff that well, yeah, he in every one of his films, he tends to be the hands of the killer. And because he's he's got a performative element in him for sure. And he's always been in there. But, you know, it's it looked to see artists giving themselves over because this is pretty fragile stuff giving them to another artist like Gaspar Noe, it's like super cool. Like if, if if you're at the end of your career like he is, and look, best of all, we get one more Dario Argento film at least because there's another one coming out really soon in the next couple of months, mm-hmm. um, another Giallo. So it's pretty pretty neat. It's a cool that we're going to have a Dario year. I'm very excited. So those are my my Gaspar Noe double feature. Couldn't be more opposite these two movies. Um, if you want the pure Gaspar, typical, uh, that's Lux Eterna. And if you want the um, enlightened uh, Bressonian, <laughs> you, you go for vortex i forgot one detail that i should have mentioned up top at the bubble because it's kind of the lead of that Mm. movie is that it is heavily polarized and everybody hates it but i found it amusing um and i meant to lead with that it's got like a 22 percent right now um so uh, i'll lead or i'll 
now end that with yeah, um, but you never know right what the fuck do i know what i'm talking about i found it funny 22 percent. i'll call it apatow haters on there no it, i mean and it wouldn't be the first time in history where i'm like oh my god this is brilliant and the rest of the world hates it death to smoochie um which i still think is just hey, death to smoochie is pretty good i think it's I, hilarious I like it. that movie got so i remember arguing with so many people when it came out and i was like it's brilliant and everybody hates well that it. one felt like a cult film on delivery it felt like oh yes yeah, so this is, is gonna find a cult straight away but not a mains i feel that way about hamlet too as well where Still i was watch like, it's fun it's i i can say it's not um there's some pc things in it now that definitely yeah. 10 years later are a bit cringy but there's still parts in it that i'm like it's fun and it was fun when it came out and yeah so it wouldn't be the first time that i find myself gravitating towards a comedy that everybody else um except for 22 percent is like Bleh. probably um, the reality is anyone who made a film in the bubble will find it entertaining it's, <laughs> i will say that that was kind of one of the bigger complaints with it is oh it's about the pandemic like nobody wants to watch movies about the pandemic right now and i at. get we that we want to be in. done with this yeah. we don't want to wear masks anymore and just want to be done with it and now like strum got sent home my son strummer got sent home this week from um school for allergies like his eyes were swollen and uh, he was sneezing yeah. like it was clearly allergies <laughs> We gave him Zyrtec and he was fine, but they still made me get him a COVID test before he could come back. And I was like, how is this still a thing? It's still a thing. But yeah, yeah I guess it's it's still a thing. So um, uh, yeah, I just got my fourth booster, which it could be about. more of a thing soon from what, what people are guessing. Oh my God. Yeah. Not, not looking forward for to that, that conversation. No. Yep. Well, um, speaking of end of the world um, and and crazy, um, you know, I don't know what's happening horror. I'm going to give you what is quite possibly the best graphic novel I have read in years. Holy shit. This one blew my mind and I can't wait to see more. Oh, and you've read a lot of them. So let's I let's read hear. a lot. So nice house on the lake. So this one was recommended to me probably last summer when it was first coming out in issues. And it was recommended to me by Joshua Pruitt. Um, he's a good friend of ours. He's a writer. He's an animator. He's just, uh, he has an Emmy. He's just an all around great guy. And we share a love of graphic novels and comics and weird media in general. And he had recommended this to me probably last summer. And I read the first issue off of Comixology and was like all in. But when you're reading issue to issue, you really don't get much. And so I hadn't um, read the subsequent issues, but then I was at Barnes and Noble a couple of weeks ago and I saw that they had released the volumes. And that's what I do the majority of the time is I wait for the volumes because I like reading everything consecutively. I read graphic novels like movies, which is a weird thing. Like literally right now I have um, Tresse and Department of Truth here, the volumes, I will sit down and for three hours straight, this is all I will do. I will burn yeah. through them in one sitting, like, like a mental movie for myself. And I really like doing it like that. Um, so I got the volume for Nice House on the Lake. And I read the entire thing on Sunday afternoon in like two and a half hours. And holy shit, this story was amazing. And I have looks, no I'm idea. I'm looking at the art. It looks amazing. It looks so, really cool. The setup, and I'm not going to go far into the story just because it's got like the best first act break ever in the oh, world cool. to the point that I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Um, the setup is just that it's a group of friends and some of them know each other and some of them don't, but their connection is this guy named Walter, who some of them went to high school with, some of them went to college with, and some of them knew when they were working as young professionals in Brooklyn. 
And so everybody knows this guy named Walter, who's always been a little weird. Like Walter's always been the friend who's kind of quirky. He's weird. He never really seems to, you know, be like others. He never really seems to fit in. And out of nowhere, everybody, like it's like eight people, possibly 10, um, get this letter this email saying, you know, I've really lost touch with you. I just really want to reconnect. I have this amazing house on a lake in, I think it's Wisconsin. Um, and I will fly you up there for the weekend, but, or the week, just come spend a week. It is this massive house. It has everything that you could ever possibly dream of pictures of house. It's crazy. It's this massive mansion. Look, it's got a movie theater. It's got a gym. It's got, you know, every board game. It's got a library. Um, check out the lake the pool, just come hang out for a week. I just really miss you. And so all of his friends get there. They all show up and what they find is this absolutely lavish pad, but Walter's not there. And it becomes like, oh oh my gosh, it's you. It's you. I haven't seen you in so long. And there's a little bit of antagonism between some of them. They are all given an identity based on kind of their profession or their personality. So it's like, you are the artist, you are the doctor. And with that, they're also given a symbol. This is your symbol. And he says, like, you know, I've hidden some clues around the property. It's a fun little hunt, scavenger thing. So look for your clue. And then act one break. And I'm not going to go past that because that's the shittiest setup ever. Because I was just like, and there's 10 people in a house on a lake. Um, but not I if you see the cover where she's like surrounded by skeletons, you'd want to read. I don't want to go past that because holy shit, it was just one of these like, I did not think it was going there. And then it went there and it was just amazing. Let me ask, because this says volume one. I'm on Amazon mm-hmm. and my it says nice house and like volume one. Is there a second volume yet or is it still, is this? Is so the way, the because this is um, a serial comic. So it comes out usually in like 16 to 20 some pages. When you get these volumes, what that means is they have taken a lot of the little issues that come out like as weekly comics or yeah. you know, bi-weekly comics, and they push them together into one bound. So as far as I know, the comic is still running. Um, okay, so you've only read the volume. I've one. only read volume one. And so it usually takes like, you know, if this came out, I think this came out last summer was when I first heard about it and read the first issue. Um, and just now, like in March was when that volume released. And so usually with most comics, I wait for the volume just because I like to read them consecutively. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. But I have a feeling this is still publishing like week to week. If it isn't, yeah. I'm going to cry because that was damn. a complete story, right? That you got. Not a complete story. It still ends with cliffhanger. Like it's definitely, it's a complete story, but I mean, it still ends with a lot of places to go. So it better keep going. Um, This is James Tinian who I have talked about recently because he also wrote something is killing the children, which has been another one of my favorites from this year, um, which I've now read three volumes of there's something killing the children. And it's just absolutely dynamite. He also has done like Batman, dark Knight, justice league, all the traditional stuff. But yeah, I always target the the weird horror ones, but yeah. um, Nice house on the lake by far. One of my favorite things that I have read um, in the last years. I might buy it. I might just push the button. You've kind of convinced me. It looks cool. Really good. All right. All right. It's only 17 bucks on Amazon. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I got a couple um, that I'm a little more lukewarm on, so I'll do quickly. And then I've got two I really love. So, uh, but I'll 
break them up with you. So the first, uh, the next two, there's a film called The Retaliators. Um, and it's, you know, the, this was a bit of a lesson to me. And that's why I don't like to speak ill of movies. But the reason I'll bring this up is because um, we're not always right. So this is about a, uh, a pastor. So I think I was out at that point. But anyway, it's about a pastor. What was, who, what was uh, the name of this one again? It's called The Retaliators. The Retaliators. I don't know if it's got its release yet, but um, so this is at the festival. And uh, this pastor has a daughter, a young daughter, and something terrible happens to her um, on her way home. Um, and this thug guy, you know, does something bad to her. And he goes into a dark place and he meets this cop played by Mark Menchata, who I think is one of the coolest actors around. Um, and he kind of, every time he's on screen, it's like, ooh, this movie just goes up a notch. He's the guy from, uh, what was that cool? The Outsider. Remember that cool Stephen King series, The Outsider? He was, was the sniper. so good. Yeah, he was the, the bad guy in most of that. He was like the sniper cop at the end who was, you know, possessed and stuff. And he's, he's a really good actor. Um, he plays this cop who kind of comes to him and says, look, you know, you're not a violent man, but you've lost everything. I lost everything once and I've done something about it. If I could give get you in a room, with 15 minutes with the person who did this, what would you do? And we, and it kind of, you know, I don't want to tell people too much, but it, he's got this almost saw like thing going on in a, in a campground in the middle of nowhere where he has captured all these people over the years. And they're becoming kind of people on the stairs esque, uh, all these criminals that he's c- collected over the time. Uh, that's like the first act and a half. And then in the last act, it goes like crazy evil dead, like full on evil dead. It's a movie that as I was watching, it has cameos all the way through by, recent new metal type of bands mm-hmm. like five fingers death punch uh, tommy lee's in there at some point as a bartender it's it's and then i found out afterwards it was funded by somebody who manages all these bands and so that's clearly part of it so i am not the target demographic for how this film is put together like that because i could care less about any of the bands I, I was like i don't care i don't care it's not lou reed i don't care that's not leonard cohen i don't care um anyway so so my my music snobbery was getting in the way of that part but uh it has like interesting scenes it's but other, leonard other... Cohen, yeah, I I know, like, he's dead sadly um anyway and there's a lot of it he was he was in miami vice once as a bad guy that was cool <laughs> go, go 80s your catalyst um, for music is leonard cohen cue the jan hammer score of miami vice <laughs> Everyone loves that Jan Hammer. Uh, anyway, uh, this this it has it has some peaks and valleys. There's some stuff I really just was like, uh, it's just this isn't for me. The last act has some incredible gore gags. I've got to say, like, because it goes full kind of Evil Dead, and it's definitely referencing that. And it and it is pretty wild and fun in that way. I you know I was sitting there going, okay, this is probably my least favorite film of this festival. But here's the thing: the reason I'm bringing that up because I don't like shitting on movies. Um, People in the crowd who I would say are not your typical horror crowd, most of them, I think they're the kind of people who go to a film festival and go, oh, this happened to be a horror film. They were fucking going kind of ape shit over this and they were laughing and they were yelling at the screen and and responding. And so I only wanted to bring that up because like, you know, we don't always know. And that doesn't mean I'm wrong because I'll never come around to this movie. I do not like this movie. But the fact is people did. And I was surrounded <laughs> by them. And I mean, they liked it more than probably anything I saw at the fest, the people around me. So it, it was a lesson that sometimes I think we need because we watch things in our bubbles and we go, well, this might not be my bag, but it was cool to realize, but it is definitely someone's bag because mm-hmm. the majority of them were there. So I, that's why I want to bring up, in other words, people listening to the show, there probably is a lot of people who really have a lot of fun with Retaliators. I had two directors and I couldn't help but feel every 15, 20 minutes felt like a different movie in a way, like style wise. And I think they had a lot of, you know, things during the pandemic and reshoots. And so, you know that might be warranted so i don't want to i don't want to um, be too cruel but yeah so i you know i think some people really dig this and if those bands are your bag then it could be the reason alone to see it um but yeah no leonard cohen 
That's my official review. No Leonard Cohen. Well, on the um, kind of to each his own on movies, I'm going to take it to my rewatch of the week, which was um, an absolute joy. I had a blast with this. Um, So I started talking with one of my students earlier this week about historical horror films. And this came out of us talking about the new one that you and I talked about a couple of shows back, The Cursed. The idea of like these big budget horror films that are set back historical time periods like middle ages or 1800s or whenever they cost a fortune and so we don't see a lot of them and all of a sudden we were like when were they a thing were they ever a thing and the only one that i could think about was nicholas cage's season of the witch i still have never watched that one i i'm gonna be very interested to hear this because you know i love nick so so yeah so nick cage season of the witch so i'll say that my first thing is i remembered this being eons ago i was like oh yeah that came out like 25 years ago go i wonder how it holds up it was 2011 yeah. so um That's eons after the pandemic it's like two I've, years of pandemic i've like seen 20. shit since then yeah, so yeah. i guess like you know i have no concept of time um but fine so 10 years ago season of the witch i would have been in like i would have probably been about to move to la when i saw this now that i'm thinking about what it. year um 2011 Oh, I was yeah. here for one year. Yeah, I would have been in Richmond doing my first year of my PhD program. So, and I have no recollection of seeing it the first time, though I know I did. I have no clue where I saw it. Um, and I know that at the time when I first saw it, I kind of gave it a meh response. Like I was working at Fango at the time. So I'm sure that if I'd loved it, I would have written about it. And I didn't. I just kind of gave it a meh. I rewatched this and it was so fun. Like I don't even know what I was thinking. I needed those 10 years between because um, I had an absolute blast with this. It was way more fun than this movie had any right to be, to be honest. Um, because as I describe it to you, it is going to sound like a hot mess. So the setup is Nick Cage and Ron Perlman are German Teutonic Knights, which is basically like their version of like Templar Crusaders. Mm -hmm. And they are going from town to town saying, do you like God? And if anybody says no, they just smite them and kill them. Hmm. And so it opens with them going battle to battle as Ron Perlman and Nick Cage basically play buddy cop it's very much like i'm gonna kill nine people okay but you're buying the beers tonight and it's just this very much this like buddy cop tonality between the two of them as they are battling their way through town and it reaches a point where nick cage realizes that most of whom they are killing as like infidels are women and children and he has this moment of i don't want to do this anymore and he literally stands up and is like, I don't like us killing kids and ch- women. This sucks. This isn't Christian. Peace. I am out of here. I quit. And they're all like, you can't just walk away from the Teutonic Knight Order. You know, it's against the law. And Ron Perlman's like, fuck y'all. I'm joining him. And they walk off. Hmm. And so they have completely left their post. And then they are walking through um, the woods a bit. And they happen upon this town that is completely plague-ridden. And immediately somebody recognizes their swords and is like, oh shit, y'all are the deserter Teutonic Knights we heard about. And they get arrested. And so now they're sitting in jail, surrounded by all these people ridden by plague. And the priest of the town, who is played by Christopher Lee, who is also plague ridden, brings them in and says, yo, deserter dudes, here's the deal. I could leave you to rot in prison and definitely get the plague or... 
we've got this witch and we need you to take her across this mountain range to this monastery where she's going to be tried for crimes of witchcraft because we totally think she gave us plague. And so you take her across the mountain range to this monastery and we'll let you go free afterwards. And they're saying, yep, we'll do it, but only if she gets a fair trial. And so they both think that she's like some innocent girl who is not a witch. And thus, that is like our first act break. And we proceed to take the witch across the mountain range. Now, he is given a ragtag group of people to go with him, including um, he gets there is uh, another priest from the town an altar boy who secretly wants to be a knight, a criminal who is the only way who knows safe passage through the forest and through the mountain range, and then another knight from the town who is supposed to protect them. And this whole group of mercenaries basically go to take this witch who is in this cage. They're hauling her, literally like pulling her to this monastery where she is going to receive a trial for her crime. And then weird shit happens along the way. And it gets completely bonkers. Um, as I wrote on Twitter, this entire movie was a trip, but it is so worth it to see Ron Perlman headbutt a demon twice. Um, it's just, it's everything I wanted in a movie. It's a buddy cop film. It's total action. It is ass kicking. There's demons, there's witches, there's wolves, there's shit tons of plague. And I don't mean like I have slight boils. I mean like half of Christopher Lee's face is like this massive bulbous leaky black thing. Um, it's fucking bonkers. So. Well, you buried the lead. The best thing about it. 95 minutes. 95 minutes. <laughs> Short ass movies. Short yeah. ass movies. Um, so yeah, ninety five minutes. I was in. Uh, I was Dominic out. Stenna. So he he directed Gone in sixty seconds and that, that one Whiteout that you told me about that you and liked. California. Oh, in California. Okay, yeah. so yeah, all right. I'm I'm in. I want to see this that? movie now. This is like his last one. Like I don't know what happened to Dominic Senna oh, after okay. this, but I looked up on IMDb. I was looking up his credits. This is his last feature film. He had oh, done like a, a fuck ton of music videos in there as well. But yeah, this is like the last thing he directed. Yeah, okay. Um, this was, and I mean, maybe I needed 10 years to sit on it. This would have come out just like four or five years after Nick Cage released The Wicker Man. So my yeah. suspicion is that by the time this came out, we were all not revering Cage for his kind of quirky acting, but instead seeing it as always being over the top, um, which it is in this movie to its finest. Um, but even after I watched this and went back and talked to some of my students about it, they were all like, oh, this movie, it's better than it has any right to be. Um, it is just a fun movie. So I recommend highly Season of the Witch from 2011. It cost me $3.99 on Amazon. So. Yeah, well, I've, I've always thought about it because I'll watch almost any Cage film, but there was a period there where, uh, like, there is a few in a row where I was kind of like, uh, not so sure about these ones, you know? Yeah. Uh, the ones he was kind of making around, um, what's the one that you love with so much with the treasure map? Uh, National, National Treasure, which treasure? is... No, no, I've grown to really like those two as well, okay. but the ones he was making in that period, I was just less interested for whatever reason, and, and Ghost Rider and all that, so... Um, but yes, he's a, he is a national treasure himself. So that's okay. <laughs> so yeah, this was this was a blast. Um, and maybe I needed ten years to forget what I saw the first time to go back in and go, yes, kick that demon's ass. Well, sometimes um, also those movies that at the time you know we kind of rolled our eyes, but but they don't make movies on a big level that are fun and crazy like mm -hmm. this. So I think we will start to miss a lot of mid-range movies like that. You know? Yeah, this one, like, it had... It was basically, like, no fucks given. Like, the dialogue, 
highly anarchistic. Like it, it yeah. did not care in the slightest about being from late middle ages. Everybody, like it was just basically, you know, as like I said, an eighties buddy cop film, but they're fighting demons in the plague ridden late middle ages. And so, yeah, it's something that I think would be a hard sell to get made. Now we're definitely not making anything like this, but I miss these movies. All right, let me go into my two faves of the um, two favorite recent horrors, at least. Obviously, the noise are outside of the balance of categories. Uh, but yeah, so I saw uh, this one wasn't part of the festival, and it's just one I, I've gotten to see an early screener of, but I believe it will be coming out as of this episode. And this is a film that a lot of people was were getting a lot of buzz out of Sundance. And, you know, it will depend on your kind of types of movies you like, how much you dig this. But I thought it was really creepy and effective. And this is called We're All Going to the World's Fair. Um, it's directed by Jane Schoenbrunn. And this is like a lo-fi, I don't know if it's made in the pandemic, but it's like, it's the kind of movie that I have been often like, just like, oh yeah, I can't watch anything more made by one person alone in a room or anything. But this one really transcends that because it's just, it, whenever it was made, it has something that slowly pulls you in. Maybe kind of like the, what are the ones that you like where people are on the Zoom the whole time? Not, not, not. Like host? Not host, but like the other ones you like that were like more Blumhousey, where, where oh, where unfriended, things, like those kind of movies. Okay, I so, like and, both of them. I like yeah, no, they're, they're fun. So this isn't obviously this is made as an indie. So it's a young girl who lives in a attic apartment. Um, she's probably like nineteen or something. Played by Anna Cobb in her first role, and I think she's a, it's a really interesting performance. Um, she is uh, really into horror and dark things, and she, there's this online role playing game slash is it real? Is it not kind of, I don't want to say hoax, but you know, something that some people believe might be real and people will post videos on YouTube with the reaction to this, this it's almost like a dare. And we don't really know what she's doing at the start. She's just looking right at us and she's talking obviously to a video and she's like, you have to say it's, it's the, the video and this thing is called the world's fair. And it's, and if you want to go to the world's fair, you like cut your finger and then you make a video of yourself saying these words and then you post your video and people are having weird reactions and she, and so everyone's watching everyone else's videos over the coming weeks to see if anything happens. And the idea is that you might transform something will happen to you. And it's much more about the lo-fi handmade lingering camera. Like is something going to happen or is nothing going to happen? And it's not a movie with big, crazy shocks or big, crazy, but you get so like pulled into just watching. It's pretty short. It's probably like, 80 minutes or something you get so pulled into just watching what she's doing and her updates and wondering is something crazy going to happen and then on the the other part of the story is a guy reaches out to her who's watching her her videos and he's like warning her like oh something really bad's going to happen to you and then we start learning he's like a little bit he's like more of a middle-aged man and is he like grooming her or is he like just somebody who's did he lose somebody like his own kid this way you you can't tell but it's so a lot of it's it's dealing in ambiguities i don't want to say too much more because this is kind of the meat of the film it's not some big hollywood thing this is like hand handmade um but by the end of it you're really a little unnerved and you don't know because a lot of it you're just watching these videos you're watching her post these videos there's one part that i think is particularly creepy and and this is an interesting category where i I missed a big screen this is like there's always a couple movies a year host being one of them that is better to watch on your computer alone than watching a movie theater. You know what I mean? Like, like it's creepier to watch this film by yourself in the dark on your computer, not even your TV. I think it's just that kind of movie personally. And um, the same way I thought host worked really well like that. So yeah, I really want to make sure um, this gets on people's radars. I, I think it's a really interesting film. 
So it's we're all going to the World's Fair. You know, um, I love my internet legends. So that yeah, well, I love the the game thing's really, really interesting. Cool. Yeah, this thing about the World's Fair, and you start looking at videos of actual World's Fair, and it's obviously they're building a mythos without going too much into it. It's the kind of movie that I could imagine afterwards people probably are going to look up to go, wait, was that a real thing or not? You yeah, know? that was immediately my question. I didn't look yet. So. I just wrote it down because yeah. I immediately was like, I want to look up the legend behind that one because there's always cool lore that I, I like reading. So um. Yeah, so I, I definitely recommend this. If that sounds like your thing, obviously this won't be for everyone, but that to me is like, you know, that's where a lot of great stuff is. Um, so that, that one I thought was really interesting. And I'll just, I'll, my last of my main ones was my favorite thing that I saw at um, the Phoenix Film Festival, and it really, I'd say it's my one or two now, number one, I think X was going to stay at the top spot all year is my guess, but but this film's called, uh, another one I missed at Sundance, and it, I just wasn't interested when I saw, saw the teaser for it at Sundance, and I it was totally bowled over by it. It's called Piggy from Spain, and it's directed by Carlotta Pereda, and this is a film, I mean, it's one of those films where really, if I mix two movies together, it's exactly this movie, but it's a little bit better, Um which is it's uh, Catherine Berlay's Fat Girl, which is a very powerful film. That's a tough one to get through. Yeah, it's that mixed with high tension. Oh, okay. if you merge these two things, but what's cool about it is it's less cynical than both of them. And the ending really surprised me and had a lot of heart where both those films are about ideas Mm -hmm. more than they are about emotion. Like they're both really powerful movies. They're both really fun. So this movie, basically there's this um, overweight teen girl. She's probably about 16. She's always teased by her friends and it's really, you know, she works at a meat, you know, she works for her dad. Who's a, uh, butcher and she's so of course the title piggy is like obviously what this is all about and it's and it can be hard to watch at some because it's very cruel and these girls are very cruel to her and you're just watching this and you're just like oh come on like I, how much bullying can i watch in a movie just the same way when you watch a stephen king you know mm-hmm. you can only watch so much before you want to turn against it um and she and, and summers come along and one of these bullies used to be a friend of hers and this girl's just joined the popular clique and she feels a little bad that she's not you know, she's kind of stuck. You kind of feel for her, for that character too. And, and, but she's going along with these bullies and it, and what you find is it basically it's this day where the, the girl decides to leave home and she's got overbearing parents and she, she decides to go to the local kind of pool, pool hall. It's just like um pool lake. It's somewhere between a pool and lake. Um, and she's going when no one's going to be around to watch her. And of course they start bullying her. But when she gets there, there's this guy and it's such a great shot. It's like the first time you meet, he's swimming, he's in the pool but the but then but the light the sun is directly behind him so he just has this enigmatic dark what you can't tell what he looks like or who he is but it's very sexual instantly and she looks at him like oh and she gets in the pool anyway and starts swimming and the girls don't really notice him he comes out and we realize he is a local serial killer or something he has been killing people and burying their bodies in this neighborhood you don't really he's kind of like the high tension guy where he's just really fucking people up and the he goes when he sees what these girls do to her he basically does stuff to them and she witnesses it and they have a moment where they exchange looks and it's like if you don't tell on me then we'll be okay and then then the story starts shifting to he might be obsessed with her and in love with her and she has to decide is she gonna just because she's not ever had anyone look at her is she willing to get rid of all her moral compass to be with someone just because he's interested or will her true self weigh it. And it's honestly the battle there in the last like 40 minutes of this movie is one of the most, one of the richest things I've seen this year, just story-wise and it has a fucking great ending and it's, and it's as exciting as high tension, like has moments of real gore, horror intensity. 
Um, really great movie, like totally floored me. Of course, I found out afterwards that this was the pick of Sundance. Like everyone who went to Sundance said this was the, the horror film. And it was one, the one I missed um, at the time. So yeah, high re- highest recommend. I don't think it's going to come till later in the year, mm-hmm. um, but just everyone should put this one on on their to see list. And her her performance, her name's uh, Laura Gallon, is just so good um, because you know she has to go from like creating a stereotype to something with real like you know kind of power, and it's it's a it's a cool cool movie. That sounds so intense. highest rec for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well. Um, we are excited about our interview tonight because these are two guests. One we've had on prior iterations of the show, um, and the other we've been trying to get on for years. So let's go ahead and take it to our interview. Okay, welcome back. Thank you, guys. We have two guests today that we have been trying to get on for a while now, and we are so excited to finally talk with Craig and Sam from Shudder. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Let me start with having you introduce yourself and give us your formal title within the company. Sure. Sam, why don't you go ahead? Uh, Sure. Um, I'm Sam Zimmerman, and I am the VP of Programming at Shudder. Cool. And I am Craig Engler, the GM of Shudder. Oh my gosh. Welcome, guys. So we're going to like kick back to the original origin story. I'm going to get to your guys' origin story, but I'd love to start with Shudder's. Just because um, I was trying to think about my own memory going back to Shudder's formation. And it's literally like, I remember you guys being at some conventions, giving away free stuff. And then it's like, I blinked and you owned horror. Like you you had this kind of amazing footprint and and became kind of the purveyors of horror, like all the good stuff headed there. And so I, I would love to kind of hear where the idea came from and the growth in between. By the way, the very first convention I saw you guys at, you gave me a free pair of socks for signing up. I still have those socks. They're the best socks I own. They're amazing. Those, those socks have a long history. Uh, Sam was here from the beginning. Why don't you start, Sam? Sure. Um, I, the, 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 to the best of my recollection, uh, Shudder really kicked off and launched in 2015 in earnest. Mm-hmm. My journey with Shudder started in 2014 when it was still in development. And the concept was that AMC Networks was looking ahead to the future and understanding that streaming services were were the way were really how we were going to watch and and love and you know take in the things we love and AMC has a long history of the genre especially with something like the Walking Dead universe and understood that you know the horror audience and people who love horror are extremely loyal and extremely excited about it you know like if I never worked for Shudder I would certainly subscribe to it <laughs> And so when I came in in 2014, it was really as a programming consultant. It was the idea of if something like this existed with the lens of being curatorial and caring about the genre and representing the spectrum of the genre with the filter being taste and quality and context, uh, what would that look like? What would that feel like? And, you know, there are, there are things reflected on the service now that were, were nuggets of ideas back then, you know, what titles we would want, uh, what a collection would feel like, you know, genres would be more uh, traditional collections would be more thematic and eventful and seasonal. Uh, and then in 2015, Shutter launched in proper and I came on full time as the curator. Uh, and 
really at that time we were library based. We had a lot of really wonderful films. You know, you would think of the Mario Baba classics and the Jean Roland films and looking at Elric's poster, he has a Nighttide poster. I have that same Nighttide poster. Hey. We had Nighttide on Shutter. At that time, we still do. I love that movie. Um, mm-hmm. And quickly we realized the ambition would extend into distribution and exclusives and originals. Uh, and that kicked off in late 2016 with some films like Sadako versus Kayako and Shrew's Nest, the incredible Shrew's Nest or Maddie Doe's uh, Dearest Sister. Mm-hmm. And we, we slowly but surely built that ambition. Uh, and then in, if I'm recalling correctly, 2017 is when Craig came on as GM. Uh, pretty close or early 2018. So uh, I had heard of Shudder, uh, was not a subscriber and uh, I had been at Sci-Fi Channel and Chiller TV for a long time before I left and had my own series on uh, Sci-Fi Channel and Netflix. And then Headhunter reached out and said, you know, there's this opportunity at AMC Networks. And actually, at first, I was very skeptical because because I had been a digital executive in linear TV. Mm-hmm. I got approached for a lot of SVOD jobs and none of them, I would always call them two-year jobs because they would come, they would start it up. They'd realize, oh my God, this is so hard. We're never going to do this they'd shut it down. And so uh, at first I didn't actually even want to take the interview because I was working in TV and whatnot. But then I decided, well, you know, Shutter has this great reputation and they're really cool. Couldn't hurt to meet them. And at the time there was a guy named Paul Rarig who had uh, been integral in, in starting Shutter, And I met with him and something he said really resonated with me. He said, we don't program horror films. We program Shutter films. And I thought, oh, okay, they get it. They understand what they're doing here. And then I sort of said, well, you know, what, what do you need in the GM? What are you looking for? And they were really starting to get into original content. They wanted to get into original series. Weren't kind of sure where they wanted to go. They were also experimenting with things that were outside of uh, horror, like Asian action films. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a long sort of history in the genre. I had started at Sci-Fi Channel back in the late 90s, if you can imagine. Um, and then also at Chiller TV, when Chiller TV was sort of in its formative stages. And I said, you know, one of the things uh, I learned is that you, you, you don't have to go around the genre. The genre is big enough to, to be a huge player as long as you understand the genre. Right. And, you know, you all know this, but you know, one of the things I like to tell people is horror is so much broader than people realize. You know, I always say silence of the lambs is a horror movie. Jaws is a horror movie. Alien is a horror movie. And Friday the 13th Mm -hmm. is a horror movie. And also, you know, there's so many permutations of of horror, we always say, you know, how many people might subscribe to Shudder? How many people bought a Stephen King book, right? You know, Stephen King isn't just one of the best-selling horror authors of all time. He's one of the best-selling authors of all time. So there's this huge interest in horror. And I said, so let's not do any of this non-horror stuff. Let's focus on being the best horror service we can be, but also being as expansive within the genre as we can. Um, Sam once did this great thing where we did this sort of ABCs of horror and there's, you know, a subgenre of horror for every letter in the alphabet. And we probably could have done three times that many, right? So that's how big horror was. At the same time, you know, they weren't kind of sure what um, original programming to go for. And, you know, I said, well, you know, we need something sort of big, but easily produced. And we came up with this, what we call our hit list of, of horror properties that we would love to do something with, right? And one of those was Creek Show. And we were lucky enough to be able to get Creepshow. And that was our first big original scripted series and and was a big hit out of the gate. 
we also noticed that there was a lot of interest in um, documentary and unscripted around horror. You know, I still, I would always talk to Sam about Crystal Lake Memories, which is, you know, this six hour documentary on Friday the 13th. And people still watch, they watched all of it and they loved it and they wanted more. So then we also added things like Horror Noir, the original documentary, Cursed Films, which is coming into its second season. And then at the same time, we expanded our um, original movie lineup. So we wanted to increasingly, we felt like we couldn't find the things that we were looking for in the market because, you know, you're very market dependent when you're just buying films. So we started to do original films um, and you've sort of seen the fruits of that labor finally hit after years of development. I think VHS 94 was the first, well, Host was really the first big one. I think that, um, and Sam, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but Host was first, our, you know, we saw that and, you know, helped that one from the ground up. Then VHS 94, both were big hits for us. And now we have a whole bunch coming later this year. Yeah, yeah Host, Host was really it. Host was the, was the thing that helped us realize the ambition of coming in from the ground up on a film. I think, you know, we had been, you know, setting the table, setting the table, setting the table, and then that opportunity presented itself. And we, we couldn't find a reason to say no. And then it really said, then really we could look at that and go, okay, that's how we do it. And then apply that to all the other films we've now gotten off the ground, both that have been released like VHS 94 and Night's End just last week into uh, the rest of the year and beyond. There's a lot coming that I think we're over the moon about. I would love to, oh, sorry. I I would love to hear you talk a little bit about kind of the, um, all the kind of pre-production side, even into like how you guys were formulating hosts, because that is such a risky venture. Like not only is it your first production, but it's shot on zoom. And at a time when we were all looking at zoom constantly and it feels like, you know, it feels like something else. It's not even like, you know, normal feature length. Like there's a lot, it's not known actors or actresses. Like there's a lot of kind of risky things that you were putting into it, but somehow it really works. Like what was more of the development process like for that one? It it was almost too quick to second guess everything, right? Uh, it, you know, Rob Savage made this wonderful Twitter video that got shared around. Um, a few of us had known Rob from his excellent short film work. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few of us had known the, the his collaborators. So there was kind of a perfect storm of that coming to us and mm-hmm. us asking, can you do more with this? And them saying, we want to do more with us. It was almost like this you know, all the, all the pieces were in place and we really just had to trust that their talent, which we did, you know, I, I had known Rob's work. I had known the way he operates and the goals he sets for himself. And I think that's in so many ways is what is exciting about host. I mean, you can see a million other zoom movies and it's, you know, there's someone in the background. Oh no, there's, this it's all very low level stakes and low level scares but rob came to us and said oh i think i know how to pull this off oh i know a whole stunt team that's coordinating to uh, quarantining together they want to set someone on fire they want to drop someone from x amount into a pool and you could see the bar that he was trying to raise for himself mm-hmm. that i think it gave us the trust to say oh you're gonna you're gonna make something scary and special you know even if it is this size, even if it is made in this amount of time. And that was really early May, 2020. And we were premiering hosts at the very end of July. It was, it was a really crazy quick process. Yeah. It's very interesting too, because we had seen the short on Twitter. We're always talking amongst ourselves. We, we used to have a Slack channel, but now we use teams. So now we have a Teams channel, 
but we're always, you know, oh, I saw this, you know, what's that? Or, you know, I'm constantly sending stuff I see online to Sam and saying, hey, do we know about this? Can we get this? And um, I'd seen Rob Short on Twitter said, oh, this is really cool. And um, either you, Sam, or, or Nick Lazo, uh, one of our development executives said, well, we know Rob, you know, we're, we're, you know, interested in working with him. So we said, can you guys, you know, do you guys have a full length pitch on this? And I remember very clearly, they sent us a uh, six page pitch deck, but we bought it on two words, which is Zoom Seance, right? As soon as you said Zoom Seance, we all just thought, oh, they can absolutely, you know, that's something that they can do and will be awesome and, and hasn't been seen before. Mm-hmm. And one of the very interesting things was we were just trying to get the money quickly because they wanted to do this, you know, and AMC, you know, generally we don't like sign somebody and then, you know, like a check goes out within 24 hours, you know, there's a process where you have to get it through the payment system. So part of our thing was trying to get them the money as quickly as we could being a sort of sluggish corporation, right. To, to enable them to, to, you know, see, you know, uh, create their vision. And then uh, when the first cut came in, I very distinctly remember talking with Nick uh, and Sam and Emily, who's one of our other acquisition uh, executives, and saying, is this as good as I think it is? Because like we, we were so enamored of the project, you know, it was a little hard to get perspective. But, you know, we kind of had this conversation where like, yeah, yeah, we, we, we think it's good. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things where we were very uh, uh, preference to move quickly, right? We have this mm-hmm. very, very strong preference on our side to move quickly, especially because in streaming, you're constantly having to come out with no new content. And at one point, there was a very short debate over, hey, this movie might only be like, whatever it was, 57 minutes long. Is that a problem? And we're like, nope, that's fine. We'll do it. It's, I love that. As long as it's good 57 minutes, it's better than a, you know, a not as good 80 minutes or whatever. So we never had a problem with that. Um, for a while, it was very interesting. When it first came out, there was a whole sidebar conversation around, can a film be a film if it's whatever, how long? I think it's 57 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's totally gone away. And people just remember it as a great film. People were calling it, you know, this generation's Blair Witch Project. And no one, no one remembers that it's only 57 minutes anymore because it worked. So as yeah. long as it works, it's fine. Yeah, it's we had a... Yeah, we had a giant convo on this show about it. Like, is it redefining streaming? Like, is this now what is considered a movie or will we just do away with times altogether at this point? What's it? I don't care. I mean, whatever, you know, as as long as something is good at the length it is, I think there's that nebulous line between, and I don't know what, you know, what the minute count would be between what a film is and what a short film is. Mm Because a lot of times people don't really want to watch short films because it's not enough time for them to engage. Um, but 57 minutes clearly is not too short. So mm-hmm. yeah, too it seems like it falls more in line with the British, you know, like the BBC films that we, we mm-hmm. often talk about the ghost story for Christmas. And it feels like that no one's arguing about those, right? Yeah. It's a different uh, thing. Could, I wonder if you guys could demystify or like just talk us through what you can. All Because it seems to me what really, you know, bolstered what Shudder was for a lot of people is the, are, are the original films. And so could you talk us through the various channels, especially for filmmakers out there, of where you find from acquisitions at festivals to actually script developed content, like the all the different ways that movies end up being original Shudder movies. I'd love to hear as much it's, as you can. It's so many different ways. I mean, the yeah. thing, you know, much in the way that host can be 57 minutes is I, I think we all pride ourselves on wanting to be nimble in the best way possible so that a movie can come in in a myriad different ways. So of course, festivals, you can see something in the festival and we fall in love with it or 
which what I think a lot of more casual moviegoers don't see is the market side of it. You know, everyone knows a festival, you know, everyone knows the Cannes Film, Cannes Film Festival at the same time where at the March to Film or with the European Film European film market when Berlin's happening. And this is when a little bit earlier in the process, it's before, often before a film has been submitted to a festival, possibly before a film is done, you know, Revenge we saw before it was entirely finished. Mm -hmm. And we were so blown away by just the minutes of it we saw that we we knew it was a mark in, like a line in the sand for Shudder. Releasing Revenge was starting to realize the ambition of what we wanted our original films or our released films to be. So we kind of bought that immediately with no question, uh, helped finish it, brought it to TIFF, things like that. So now, of course, we we buy films out of festivals or markets. Um, we have a lot of working relationships with producers and filmmakers that we love and know and trust. And we want to know their projects as early as possible, because if we think it's right and we think it's a shutter film, we want to be able to come on to it. Um, we, and probably it's similar in terms of our scripted projects too, or, you know, they'll come in on script stage and, you know, if it's right at that stage, we love it and we want to bring it in. If it's not right at that stage, we never want to fully say no, because we have all these other avenues with which to explore. Uh, because we, it's, for us, it's really about, is the film special and is the filmmaker special? And can we continue working with the filmmakers we know and love and trust? Um, you know, like a Jennifer Reader who did the rap for VHS 94 and Night's End, um, you know, and, and multiple other filmmakers that hopefully we've acquired their first film and then you'll see their second soon. With us. Yeah, and I also think we don't do a lot of um, we don't do a lot of traditional development because there's we a there's no time right and b we know kind of what we want when we see it you know host was a great example it was you know we saw this Twitter short they said us you know Zoom seance we're like good VHS was another one you know hey they had this idea for VHS we obviously know that franchise they gave us the pitch for VHS ninety four we're like yep let's do that um, you know on the documentary side I always talk about. Um, when I first got to Shudder, we were talking about documentary stuff and Sam had the horror noir book on his desk um, that he had been talking with. I forget who, and, and Sam, you can, you can fill in the gaps there, but been talking with the, the folks who wanted to make that. And, you know, that was sort of just a little bit post Get Out and people were talking about black horror a lot more than they were. And we were like, yeah, let's just do that. Let's just figure it out, you know? And it was literally like, all I knew of that project was we were talking about documentaries. Sam had that book. He gave me like a two minute, we used to share this office in the WeWork space. He gave me like a two minute, you know, version of, you know, what the book was about and what the producers wanted to do. And I was like, yep, let's do that. Let's do that right away because that'll be awesome. Um, and, and luckily that turned out, we actually didn't do that thinking it would drive subscriptions or even necessarily be one of the most watched films on Shutter, just because documentaries have a little bit of a lower, you know, audience ceiling than, you know, uh, traditional film, but it actually ended up at the time, I think it was our sixth biggest film of all time and drove not only a ton of acquisition, but a ton of conversation around the genre, which we love, you know, we love to talk about the genre and hope to be in some form or fashion, facilitating the evolution uh, of the genre one way or the other. And uh, Sam, I don't know if you want to talk more about foreign war or not. Uh, just that it was a joy to help make happen. I mean, you know, uh, Ashley Blackwell, who started Graveyard Shift Sisters that we all know and love. She's a great writer. Uh, her and Phil Nobile Jr. brought it to my attention. I had already had the book. Um, and, you know, they had been working with Tanana Rivdu and they had been working with Dr. Coleman, who wrote the book. And 
it really felt just like a special opportunity. The story should be told and the book was excellent. And, you know, bringing the book, which uh, some would consider academic because it is an academic text, though it's not, uh, I think, inaccessible to read to a visual medium, you know, a book about movies to a movie about movies is a, was a really exciting. And uh, I'm just stoked we were able to tell that story and make that doc. Uh, it, it was really such a, a great production for us. Yeah, I, I now show it. It's day five in my horror class at USC. Oh, um, so, and I'm not the only professor who's showing it, like on all of the different horror professor chats that we have going across the web, it gets shown a lot. Um, so I love the fact that there are horror professor chats going on. That, <laughs> that own, actually like, makes me happy. There's, there's like a dozen of us. So most of us kind of know each other or end up together at academic conventions, which are a whole additional thing. So yeah, but we that it gets shown a lot. So it has really become kind of a beautiful academic tome um, that so people cool. are using. Yeah. We also right. get a lot of acad- we also get a lot of academic requests for uh, our film La Llorona from about a year or two ago, oh, yeah. and I just love like it makes sense. <laughs> you know, I, I, Becca, you and I. I mean, I mean, you much further along than me. You're you're a full on doctor, but I did a you know I graduated with cinema studies degree. And oh yeah, I come from you know the the world of reading Fango as a kid and and watching the goriest shit possible to also going to school for it, and so yeah. releasing something that then professors want to show also kind of makes my heart sing. Now, uh, for those who don't know who are listening, so Sam and I came up at Fango around the same time. Like I was maybe a year or two ahead of him when I made the jump from intern to actually getting a job. But I still remember where um, when you were our intern and they had your desk in the office and I would come in every day and all I ate for lunch was sweet potatoes. And you always used to be like, you find these massive sweet potatoes. And it was like literally all I ate. But those were those were good times in the Fango office. The, the yeah, biggest sweet just- potatoes imaginable just in the microwave for 15 Spinning. minutes at a time and it was my yeah. whole lunch at the time because that was just my thing i was on like a sweet potato diet but. thanks sam so i'm also the only person to be on all iterations of our shows it's true I, I think, I, yeah. 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 like we've been on the eight well years done. on air three different shows i think you're it's the been- guy I got, I got a, it's, it's nine now, Elric. I'm sorry uh, to age sh- you, but I'm, I'm just going to remind you, I was like stupid pregnant for our probably first six episodes of Killer POV. And she just turned nine last weekend. So it's wow. at least nine years that we've been doing this, if not more. That's pretty crazy. I know um, it's wild. Can, can we talk a little bit about like, I think the thing that, you know, when obviously we're at a time where a lot of people bemoan streamers for very obvious reasons mm-hmm. but it tends to be the streamers that aren't at all curatorial right Cur- curation yeah. seems to be the like we're all video store people on this call i'm gonna guess like people really grew up with that and i and i sometimes you know it does kind of it's sometimes a little heartbreaking when i see young people or teach them film and go oh you don't get this experience that was such a magical thing it's not just a i don't think it's just an old person going oh you don't get this experience it really was quite special being able to walk around a video store and i think shutter and there and obviously you know uh, filmstruck had a period there criterion channel you know where you feel the curation and mm-hmm. they're you're often illuminating movies that really have fallen through the cracks. And that's a really special thing. Um, so I'm interested a little bit about, you know, curatorial decisions, but also the balance between curation of those kind of films, the, like the eyes of fire, right? Like the cool stuff that you guys are, you guys put out the devils, which is just, you know, was a bonkers moment for a lot of people um, but with the originals. Like what is the pressure um, for being streamers for how much original content per month, you know, whatever you can demystify in that, you know, I'm curious how that works. That's I'm going to let Sam tackle the the curatorial thing because he's 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 the one, you know, I could just talk a little bit about the streaming thing. You know, we we do an original movie, basically an original or exclusive every week. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we found is there's a big appetite. You know, Shutter's a little different because we are movie first and series second, whereas most other streamers are series first and movie second, right? So that's that's one thing. But um, and why you know, is that? Can I can find. I jump in and just ask why that is? Like what 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 that decision comes from? It's a couple things, but ultimately, kind of one of the things that it boils down to is horror is very difficult to sustain in an episodic series that runs for multiple seasons. The Walking Dead being the biggest major exception. But even if you go to, you know, another horror series like American Horror Story, they reinvent themselves every season, right? So they can go on. But it's very hard to sustain the same people in some form of peril for, you know, in in sort of horror-focused peril as as opposed to superhero peril, right? You can Mm -hmm. just manufacture endless bad guys. So when you kind of look at the TV landscape, the amount of horror series that are being made that are good, that people, you know, really, it's not nearly as much as anything else, right? There's a reason procedurals dominate TV, right? You know, hospital procedurals, law procedurals, you know, because those are, you know, easy things to tell stories in week in and week out with kind of a, you know, the law and order being the most famous example. Yeah, right. right. I you know, still there's watch Law and Order. I swear, it's been with me since like high school. I will continue to watch Law and Order. So, but you know, can you could you do like a Mad Men version that's horror? You know, something like Mad Men that's horror. Very, very hard to do. Um, oh my and god! Now like, I want to see Roger Corman's Mad Men, <laughs> like all about the birth of that world. Come on. <laughs> um, but also, you know, there's also a lot of horror movies that are available at. Um, a relatively inexpensive price, right? It's very hard to do, let's say, big budget science fiction movies are going to go for tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, but that are also creative and inventive and continue to, you know, have a lot of explorations about every corner of the genre, right? You know, Sam and I always talk about fun name, you know, like exploitation is a whole <laughs> segment of horror films. A jam. That, yeah, <laughs> that you could go on, right? You know, sure. so, you know, you can go from a nun movie, you know, to J-horror, to j- traditional slasher, to, you know, a thriller, you know, all that stuff. Um, but Sam, you can talk more about, you know, the, the curatorial nature and intent. Yeah, I, I think from the beginning and the whole idea is to just grow in ambition with that curatorial lens is to eventize everything. Um, you know, even have the originals in, in conversation with each other when you can. I mean, in February, because we generally do one week, we had uh, Slapface, All the Moons, They Live in the Gray, and Hellbender. And, and Slapface and All the Moons, Slapface was at a, about a boy and his monster, All the Moons was about a girl and hers. And then They Live in the Gray was directed by a pair of siblings, and then Hellbender was directed by a family. Like, to me, there was a flow where things were working in concert with each other. And that won't happen every month where everything lines up like that. But I, I always hope to have some pro- programmatical eye going on. And especially with our library films, because so many of these films, you know, if they're not of the eyes of fire variety travel, you know, you can see, you'll, you might see the shining on every streaming service under the sun you know, during different months throughout of the year. So how do we, make something seasonal or make something an event, but also make you care about them. You know, if I put up a single Jalo, it might not get watched all that much, but if we put up a collection at the same time and kind of focus a viewer's eyes to say, here are all these really interesting movies within a subgenre, and here's why you should care about it. And here's why you might want to get into it if you never have before. I think that helps drive engagement and rather than a movie sitting around on shutter for an endless period of time, you know, 
we were really lucky to do that in March. And there's still some up now with the new French extremity. Um, yeah, it's such mm-hmm. a great, you know, I mean, that, that out of everything you've done was one of the ones that most blew me away. Cause there's a ton of titles that a people don't really know. And then a couple that have been actually off the shelf. Completely like absent. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's one of those situations where, you know, I have a very small, you know, a list in my back pocket from the beginning of there are movies I've always wanted to see on shutter. And I'll tell you, eyes of fire is one of them. And we finally did it right inside, which is, I, I can tell you my favorite horror movie between 2000 and now finally got it. Um, livid, you know, livid was a big thing for me because it had never actually come out. So how I remember we... having conversations with you about yeah. livid eons ago and both of us just, cause I swear, were you with me when I saw it at scream fest, like here in LA? No, I was okay. probably, I saw it probably a few weeks before at 2011 fantastic fest and then it okay. disappeared. So the whole, you know, it, it, I think Inside has a reputation where if it just goes on Shutter by itself, sure, people will watch it. But mm-hmm. the idea of being able to say, hey, we have Inside, Livid, Irreversible, Trouble Every Day, uh, you know, Evolution, all of these really exciting and interesting films, that might be an avenue with which someone can get into the genre. And the whole idea for Shutter has always been you can show up knowing so much about the genre and loving it and find something exciting to watch. You can show up knowing nothing and we want you to feel invited to get into the genre, not should never feel like I can't join this club. And then or the other half of it, dollar fan, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, yeah, the big, big yeah. <laughs> you watch trouble every day, Buffalo. Six, 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 and and that one glass shot video day. that he was a part of. <laughs> right. Um, and then now, the flip side of that is like the favorites, right? Like, until like last week, Candyman had never been on Shutter, and that was just, mm-hmm. you know, working through studio catalogs of classics and favorites and essentials and movies that, at some point in time, whether it's for a lengthy period in time or whether it's for uh, an event like Halfway to Halloween, where we sort of mm-hmm. celebrate, you know, what are the comfort classics, what are the essentials, how do we get that Halloween feeling in April? You know, a movie like Candyman feels essential, or Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two feel essential. So it's it's always balanced, but not in a difficult way, in a really fun way. Like, what are the events we can build up so that people care to watch stuff? Mm-hmm. You should never. Yeah, and I like, think um, I only yeah. want to browse. Yeah, I would. One lo- of the things we uh, we talk a lot about too is is sharing our enthusiasm, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, when we love something, it's really fun for us to go out and share it with the world, and. You know, we're going to make sure, you know, we don't have so much content that we can't tell you about all of it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make sure to really tell you about it. We also look for things like I always talk about. What's the story behind the story, right? Like what makes this film interesting and what will make it stand out? You know, so one of the things, or I'll go back to Creepshow for a second, right? One of the things that we loved about Creepshow was Greg Nicotero came on board as executive producer. The first film set Greg Nicotero was ever on as a kid was the original Creepshow movie, which is where he found his love for the genre. He didn't work on the original creep show, but he was there. Right. And then John Harrison was the assistant director for George Romero on the original creep show. So we brought John in and he directed a segment of creep show. So we had all this connective tissue to the original and it really helped us tell the story of why, why we're bringing back creep show. Also, you know, we weren't doing a remake or a reboot. We were doing a continuation. It was an anthology movie and we were going to continue it as an anthology series. There was a lot of discussion about how we should continue it is it a remake? Is it a reboot? But we were like, no, we like, we all love Creepshow. We all grew up with Creepshow. Creepshow was formative to so many people, mm-hmm. uh, including, by the way, you know, Joe Hill, who we had, uh, we've adapted a couple of his stories now for Creepshow. His dad, Stephen, uh, who wrote the original, you know, script, took him down to the set of Creepshow, which is where he met Tom Savini. And he actually credits 
uh, spending a week with Tom Savini as essentially his babysitter with instilling a love of the horror genre in him, not the fact that his dad is the best-selling horror author of all time. And so, you know, we had all this great connective tissue, and then we get to go and share that with people. So suddenly it doesn't just feel like another TV series that somebody's putting on another streamer. It feels like, oh, my God, there's history here, there's Mm -hmm. understanding here, and there's love here. So, you know, even, you know, Creepshow, our budgets are not nearly as big as, say, Netflix. So, you know, sometimes it's rough around the edges, but I think people can forgive that because of the enthusiasm and love that we have for everything. And we try to do that with literally everything on the service. It can't always come true, but, you know, there's every movie, you know, we can talk about as its own particular thing, the own particular path it, it had coming to Shudder, why we got so excited about it, and then, you know, why we're going to be excited about the next movie. And then the other thing I'll say is it really bums us out when we go and we want to buy a movie and we can't because we've been outbid by Netflix or Amazon. And then it goes up on Netflix. Nobody ever talks about it. No one realized it went up. And we feel like not we're upset, not like from the business point of view of, oh, that movie would have driven X subscribers because rarely, you know, does that happen. But it was more just like, oh, no, like people should have seen that movie. They should have cared about that movie. They should have heard about that movie. It shouldn't have just been a tile on the front page of Netflix for a day and a half and then disappeared. Not to knock Netflix. They've actually done a lot of great stuff. But, you know, your stuff can get lost on there. So we really want to make sure nothing is lost. You know, and that Sam, in particular, Sam's passion comes through when we're doing collections and all that kind of stuff so that people really get excited about what we get excited about. Yeah, a good good example of that actually is, you know, a movie we just bought out of South by Deadstream, which Mm -hmm. I like... Oh, loved, I'm loved, so loved. glad you guys picked that up. The uh, directors listened to our show and I got to oh, check excellent. it out early and it was so fun. It was like, this is, I talked about this um, two weeks ago on the show, guys. It's the one that I described as like YouTube, but meets evil dead. And so it's, it's just it's this beautiful aesthetic. So much fun. And when I saw it, I thought I wish more than anything in the world. The first time I saw this was a Friday night in October. And so like my, I then feel like the gift I have is I can then go give that to Shutter members. Like the first time you get to see this will be then in the middle of Halloween season. Cause I watched it. I thought this is like the ideal film of like, if someone said, what is a fun, scary movie to watch on a Friday night in the middle of the Halloween season? It was Deadstream. Like I watched it by myself on a Tuesday in the middle of the afternoon and I was like hooting and hollering. And so that we get so excited when we see something like that. Cause then we can go like, how do we tell the story of this movie? And that's another one where that's a story, right? Like much like mm-hmm. hellbender, there's a family, an innovative family in upstate New York, making movies by themselves mm-hmm. with Deadstream, Joseph and Vanessa are living in Utah, making movies by themselves and they make it really special. And yeah. so it, it, like Craig said, it matters to us just as much as is the movie good but is the movie good? And can we tell people how good it is with enthusiasm? And, and is there a reason why they would choose that movie over all the other stuff that comes out, right? That's mm-hmm. the other thing is like, you've got to sort of help people um, find things that they'll, they will come to love, you know, or, you know, I was just talking about um, one cut of the dead the mm-hmm. other day. And, you know, one of my personal favorite movies, because halfway into the movie, I, I hadn't, all I knew is like everybody at Shutter liked it and I hadn't had a chance to watch it. And halfway through the movie, I was like, you know, this is okay, but I don't know. I don't understand why, you know, everybody's talking about, which is the genius of the movie, right? And then by the end of the movie, I was like telling everybody I could possibly get a hold of, oh, you got to go watch this movie. 
don't worry about subtitles. Don't worry that you're going to be like 20 minutes in going, why are you telling me to watch this movie? And, and that's the kind of stuff I think that gets us mm-hmm. super excited. And then that we remember like years later, like I remember the first time I saw, you know, one cut of the dead. And I remember the first time I saw revenge and I, and you know, then we love to see the success that all the people who made those movies can get if, you know, we can sort of help in any way, shape or form, share their vision with the world and, and get them the credit they deserve. That, I, oh, you go, you go back. Oh, I was going to say, this goes back to kind of the curation, um, but we talk a lot on the show about the hunt, the hunt for the movies that you've never seen from the 1980s that everybody oh, yeah. has forgotten about. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about kind of, because I know Sam's into this as well, kind of the the weird ones that you were trying to get, like what is the hardest movie that you have gotten that you were just like, oh God, that took too long, but I'm so glad I got it. Um, because I've seen so much arrive that we're like, man, that has been in Wright's limbo, like Eyes of Fire, Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. Like there's so many films that I see arrive on Shutter that I'm always like, I thought nobody could get that. I think the longest one that I was, I was involved with, and Sam does all these and like 90% of them come from him, are just, I think I would bug Sam on such a regular basis about the amusement park. Mm. I was like, where's the amusement park? Can we get it? He's like working on it. And, you know, like a year later, I'm like, how's it going? He's like, we're getting there, you know? And so there's a lot of them that take a long time, but also uh, super gratifying. Like when the amusement park, we, you know, Sam finally did it, we were able to give that the, the sort of premiere it deserved and it got the attention it deserved as the important film it is. But I think that's the one, and Sam has much longer history than I do, that I remember as just being like a very long journey, but never, never not a journey. You know, it was never dead or in limbo. It was just progressing. And sometimes that's how long they take. I think there's a couple we can't talk about. um, But Sam, I know that there's a bunch you can talk about. I will say this type of stuff for me, y'all just became like Indiana Jones. Like this is (laughs) my level of adventure where it's like, it belongs in a museum. And yeah, like this is, I get so excited about this stuff. I'll say I'm in a very privileged position, and I think the more Indiana Jones folks, uh, frankly, are our friends at places like Severin and Vinegar Syndrome, and they're they're really uncovering materials in a way that I'm not, um, that I benefit from, frankly. Um, The amusement park was a really wonderful journey, and a lot of that was taking time for conversation with the George A. Romero Foundation and with Suze Romero, uh, George's widow, to just really let her know how we wanted to take care of the film and how we wanted to present the film so that rightfully she could feel comfortable with the film coming to shutter. It's, it's so different sometimes though, because a movie like butcher Baker, that, that was just a case of the, whoever the rights holder coming to us and saying, we have this now we have it restored. Would you like to put it on shutter and me going absolutely. And there's probably other streaming services that, would have just looked at that as like catalog horror product. I, I'm very lucky to have been in a position to saw, seen the movie, know how crazy the movie is and be able to say, I know how special this is. We want to take it exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, a movie like eyes of fire is one of the movies I've always wanted to have on shutter. I, I love that film dearly. And I think it's one of the great American folk horror films. When Severin started putting together the wonderful folk horror box set uh, in conjunction with Kayla's incredible documentary, Woodlands dark and days Bewitched. Uh, David at Severn actually asked me once, what is the film you most want to see in that set? Or, you know, what is the film you think that no one's really gotten to yet? And I said, Eyes of Fire. And then David ran with that and did his magic and came back and said, I found Eyes of Fire. And I said, 
great, let's work on it together. We'll take it exclusively. So it's, that's why I say I'm in a position of privilege because I get to work with all these really wonderful houses who find these movies and restore them and take care of them. And then we get to bring them to shutter to make them more accessible because the hunt is exciting, but at the same time, not everyone can shell out like 50 bucks for a Blu-ray once, twice, three times a month. You should be able to see the movie and and be excited by a movie that hasn't been available for a long time. I remember how happy I was the day we brought angst to shutter. It's one of my favorite movies in the world or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I think when we first, even though it's owned by MGM, when we first bought Blood on Satan's Claw to Shutter, it had never been streamed before. That's a big deal. Like we screamed that at Jump Cut probably 10 years ago. And at the time, like it was unheard of in the States. Like nobody had seen it. Well, Gaspar came to um, CineFamily before it closed and he... Mm -hmm. And I've oh, never Jones. heard of it. Oh, I've never God. heard of it. And he, and he, the way he introed it was with what we're all talking about today, and what we do on this podcast too, right? Is give enthusiasm to things you genuinely love and see it catch on. And he, he talked about it just as his favorite film of all time. So suddenly, and, you notice what he's talking about, right? And I'm so gaga for Eyes of Fire that sometimes I, I overshadow that there are a few other movies in that folk horror collection that have definitely never been streamed before, and they're so special. Il Demonio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's now in its first release in North America, uh, maybe outside of whenever it was theatrically released. And that's such an incredible Italian psycho thriller that then went on to influence The Exorcist or a movie called Edge of the Knife, which we brought. Right. Uh, this it's an indigenous film from Canada. It's in a language about only 30 people still speak. And it's this incredible survival folk horror. And, you know, like just to say, like, we have that on Shutter now. You can go experience this whole other world is really exciting to me. So Leptorico was trippy for me because that was one, anybody yeah. who's been listening to the show for a long time, I talked about that on our very first episode of Killer POV and it came became a joke on the first show of like, what's Becca got this week? Oh, she's going to bring us some like Lithuanian major <laughs> vampire movie. I don't know. And, and to see it go from like this weird thing that I had this fever dream of seeing and I was able to find a bootleg copy like years ago when I was a teenager working at Fango and, and seeing it suddenly like now everybody can watch Leptorica and it's such a cool film. And everybody and should watch Leptorica. Everyone yeah. should watch more Eastern European Balkan, you know, folkloric cinema. It's wild as hell. Yeah. Okay. And clear cut was incredible there's, too. I thought. Yes. And and there's also a whole other side uh, of Shutter that we should talk about. And you know, Sam and I talk a lot about this. But like you know, sometimes there's just like great old like the sort of movies of the week that were in the 70s. You know, on like ABC or whatever. You know, we're always trying to bring those back too because those are so fun. You can't often find them anywhere. Or I always thought it was a movie of the week, but it wasn't Race with the Devil. Um, mm-hmm. For some reason, I think I watched that on TV, but um, or things like that. Or you know, there's there's a whole bunch of that stuff too. That's you know, it doesn't uh, have that sort of maybe like heaviness. Good for you, you know. You should really watch this film studies. You know, it was just like a fun random movie of the week movie that was so cool. You should watch it and you would love it. And you know, so there's a lot of that as well. And I will say, um, just in general. Film and TV is a very long game, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are, you know, there are definitely projects that have been gestating for 10, 10 or 15 years or longer, or in the case of Mad God, right? Phil, Phil Tippett started that 30 years ago. Uh, and then finally, we, you know, we've been able to announce it. But, you know, even Creepshow was a difficult process, you know, in terms of the rights become entangled, you know, long, a long time ago when people were doing these contracts, they, they didn't foresee things like streaming, right? Mm-hmm. So, 
a lot of times, and it's kind of the worst case scenario, is the language is so ambiguous in a contract, kind of anyone can claim the right to it. And they will if given the opportunity. So there are projects that just sit there and don't get made because somebody might have the rights to it. But if they try to make it the person that they now hate and, you know, their mortal enemies will instantly sue them. And that's a real bummer because, you know, and untangling those rights. So Creepshow was a bit of a, a patience game on that one, both internally and externally. You know, there was a couple times where that deal looked like it was dead. Uh, and I remember we had, a, he's no longer with us, a great guy, Owen Shiflet was our head of programming and uh, or our head of development. And uh, he called up, you know, and he said, you know, the, the Creepshow deal is dead. We got to walk away from it. And I just like looked at my watch. I'm like, so let's just, let's give it 30 or 60 days because mm-hmm. it'll, it'll sort itself out. Cause sometimes you can see like the forces at play are going to kind of come to the table or figure it out or whatever it is. If you just give it some time, but you know, sometimes you don't have that time and you have to walk away. There's, there's probably easily half a dozen projects that we would love to do right now that we can't for one reason or another from things that you would love to see. Like I, I know if I said, Oh, we would think about doing this. You'd be like, Oh my God, I would watch that tomorrow. You know, they're, they're a little entangled or something else has happened or whatnot. And so you just, you, you keep at it and three or four years from now, I guarantee you, you will have a couple of them, but I don't know which ones they'll be. And I don't know what path they'll take, but it's just kind of the, you know, you have to play in the long game a lot of time. I think so- the, the, well, I just going to say about curation, the thing that's so cool that I think sometimes people don't think about is it's not always about the library. You guys have a great life. It's real. I think it's more important about placement. Mm-hmm. Where did you put the new film? Like, and, and I think that to me, the, probably the most disappointing thing about uh, streamers that I use a lot. And I, I, I like Amazon because I actually find a, a huge amount of new horror films there to watch every week, mm-hmm. but I have to do so much work for that. Yeah. And I am right? not the normal, I'm not the normal viewer. Yeah. I'll spend an hour because I knew something was coming out and I will look through about 40 new titles before I get to where they've put it. And that's the part I, I've never really fully understood about their model. It's just the, uh, that's where the, I guess the word dump kind of feels like because they're just being. It, you know, it you know. can. I actually know exactly what you're talking about because I was, I think it was Amazon actually looking. And, and they're, they're a great partner with us, by the yeah. way. So we're not slagging them anyway. But the way that, that their system is set up, everything's kind of lumped together. And, you know, sometimes you're browsing and you're like, why are, why are those two movies? Right here, why, you know, you should put this one over there where people might find it, you know, or you could put it in multiple places, right? Because there's no, you know, there's no reason you can't have it, you know, sort of categorized in multiple places, but it's like in the wrong one, not the right one for some reason. And it's just might that be that, you know, no one's there that knows what that is. And so they sort of, you know, put it wherever it is. Whereas, you know, anything that comes to Shudder, I mean, you know, Sam is, is an encyclopedia of horror. So if I ever have any even of the most minute, obscure question possible, I can send Sam a note on Teams and within five seconds, I will have the exact answer I need. And that's why everything on Shudder is the way it is because Sam understands the entirety of the genre and puts everything sort of where it should be, where you would expect it to be and alongside of the things that will also help you discover new things. Mm-hmm. So. Right, once you shine a light on almost anything that's like even vaguely interesting, it can suddenly yeah. become interesting, right? But if you don't cool. shine light, it's just gone. It's And then we, we try and carry that philosophy through to the originals and exclusives. So what's significant for me is that when a new film hits on a, on a Thursday or a Friday, you know, whichever day of the week it's premiering, that when someone comes to Shudder, that's what they're seeing. And there's not a version of Shudder two states away where someone's seeing a different movie front and center. The idea is that 
we've acquired this movie. We want you to see it and we want you to showcase it. And we want mm-hmm. that film and that filmmaker to succeed. Um, and that's not to say that uh, a more algorithmic approach is, is wrong, but I, we really do believe in the showcase element of it. And that goes for the library films, of course, but I think it's doubly important for the new film. You know, we, yeah. we had the, 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 the luck to produce a Jennifer Reader. Like she's, you know, Bong Joon-ho said Jennifer Reader is one of the most exciting 20 directors who will shape the future. And we had the wonderful opportunity to make a new feature film with her. So that when you're out last week, that was of course the first thing you're going to see when you get to Shutter. You know, you're you were not going to swap it around on you just because, you know, we think you might want to watch something else. We kind of want people to explore and discover. Um, and then uh, quickly, just going back to some of the more uh, obscure stuff. What's crazy is out of the obscure stuff, we can we will happen to bring stuff to streaming that is a certified classic, but just has not been around that much for some reason. Mm-hmm. So I think when we first brought the Toby Hooper Salem's Lot to Shutter, I mean everyone knows that movie. Oh, yeah. Everyone loves that movie. Everyone's seen the yeah. image of the Glick Boy out the window. It just had rarely been on other streaming services, so we brought it to Shutter, showcased it, and it it did huge. People were so excited to be able to see it again. So it it kind of it's all of a piece. Whether it is an obscure, you know, Eastern European film, whether it's a big, big, broad haunted house movie, whether it's a Stone Cold classic. You know, it's all about the showcasing and about the sort of enthusiasm and context and and quality of it so that people take a chance and watch it or revisit it or rediscover it. Um, I just I see I see it all connecting to me. They're not in separate buckets. Right. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about kind of quality control. And this sounds so geeky, but I mean, this is a thing for horror fans where like I will get excited because Amazon will suddenly direct or recommend blood salvage and i'm like holy shit i didn't think that movie was available anywhere and then i click on it and i'm literally watching like a transposed vhs copy um and it happens a lot but you guys seem to have a really strict quality control with a lot of your stuff because i don't have that thing where i'm suddenly like and the audio track sucks we we don't really want to be in the case where we're putting up some janky public domain stuff Mm -hmm. um well we're always going to try and get the best possible version sometimes you're you're quite literally prohibited from it. I mean, you know, with the devils, we get the copy we get because mm-hmm. you know in the U.S. and yeah. North America at least, WB has not done that much with it. Um, I wish we had an HD copy. I wish we had you know something much clearer, something much more beautiful. Uh, unfortunately, we and you know when Criterion licenses it, seems to be the only way you can really watch the devils properly in the U.S. at the moment, unless you have that great BFI DVD. So that's something where we say, well, you know, in the context of what the devil's is and that it should be seen, we put it up. But I think most of the time we really want to present it in the best possible quality. Um, and even if that means SD, because most of the time SD is still fine. You know, like we also watch DVDs or we've discovered things on TV. It's rare that we'll have an SD. What I'm talking about is more like the real like, oh, someone, you, you know, when someone's like ripped something from another source and thrown it up on a streaming service. And that just, um, usually it's a William Gerdler film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm still gonna watch had, like, three it, YouTube but... ones of that that aren't good, but you know. Well, you'll be happy to know we've got some very beautiful copies of Grizzly and Day of the Animal. Hey, nice. right, I'll take it. I'll, I'll say if yeah. you ever see something on shutter that 
might not be the exact quality that you're hoping for. It is, it is not for lack of trying. I mean, you know, it's Sam and, and everybody tries our best. And sometimes it's literally just, that's the copy mm-hmm. you can get. And it's between nothing and that we at least have that, but sometimes we too are looking at them. Yeah. Well, we really wish we had the other version or there was a better version. Or, yeah. So. Um, so just in wrapping up with you guys, like what's, what keeps you, cause I love talking to people who are equally passionate about this. It's always, that's the joy, right. Of what we're doing, but what keeps you excited? Like what in your, each of your jobs, what is the element that still keeps you, uh, as excited as you were when you first started? And also like, what, what do you see the future of what you can tell us, you know, the future of shutter looks like. Sam, go ahead. Um, I, I remain a curious person. And I want to see whether it's something I've never seen before from uh, previous years or whether it is a new film. I, I, I always want to be wowed and excited and thrilled by what a filmmaker is doing. So I try really, really, really hard to keep curiosity at the top of my head and go into everything with optimism and excitement. And a, a lot of times that really, that really takes you half the way. Um, you know, there's so many wonderful films, even coming this year, that mm-hmm. I think will surprise people in in a million different ways. I mean, Deadstream, I think, will delight. Sissy is this kind of acerbic, really wonderful horror comedy with bite. Um, you know, we just announced that we acquired what Josiah saw, which is a, a, a vicious Southern Gothic, just, mm. you know, really intense and really kind of heavy. Um, but I think that's a really worthwhile experience to have. You know, the genre has all of these experiences to give us. Um, so remaining open to all those experiences and remaining curious is the thing I always strive for. I will, I'll tell you, I don't always succeed, but I hope that I remain that way uh, for the rest of my life. I, f- I feel like you also just, Sam, I think you particularly have done a great job of introducing horror fans uh, to foreign horror. Oh my gosh. I, I really yeah. think more than I most hope. people I can think of, like in terms of curation. And I think that is where I think Shudder does a great job of like just finding these balls to the walls movies. Like what was the one with the toll booth? The opening with the toll booth. Oh, in oh, that was the best in, cold opening. Oh, best cold opening. One of the best opening scenes yeah. I think of the last 10 years. It, it, oh sometimes God. I just show that to people. I'll it's just like, uh, yeah, like when John I Carpenter or something. Yeah. When I've talked about cold open, I have shown that and I've been like, this is how you fucking do a cold open yeah. guys. Like you just get thrown into that shit. But you have to shine the light Jocko Anwar is the truth. Satan slaves and Pedagore. We just put up his 2009 film ritual. Uh, mm-hmm. Severin has a Blu-ray of The Forbidden Door, which will also come to Shutter soon. Uh, he wrote The Queen of Black Magic. Wildly talented filmmaker. We love working it's with just tight. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. Keep that going. That's great. Definitely. Yeah, and I, and I would, oh, I have to agree with you really quickly, Sam. Like The amount uh, that I see people... The subtitles were always like this thing previously. Like I, I'm sorry, I just can't read. And now that's becoming a little bit more accepted in the horror circles. And I yeah. think a lot of it is because you're putting these subtitled films right next to major releases and they're just all coming and, and beautifully done. And, and yo, you're only playing yourself when you mm-hmm. think like that. Like when you go, Oh, I don't want to read today or something like that. Uh, I, I can, uh, maybe I can appreciate, you know, I know I've been tired at night and yeah, that's a heavy thing to do. Mm-hmm. But um, at the end of the day, you're only playing yourself. You're like robbing yourself of a really cool experience or a movie you might really love. Yeah. Yeah. I also right. think uh, just to stay with subtitles for a second, you know, I think people don't realize how quickly they disappear too. Like when I think about Train to Busan, right, which is one of the greatest, you know, modern zombie movies ever made, it never even occurs to me that it was subtitled. 
you know, <laughs> and then I watched the subtitle version because it was just a great movie. And yeah, sure. I, you know, was getting a lot of the dialogue through subtitles, but you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, at, you know, at the end of the day, when you're, when you're done watching the movie, you know, so many movies we have on Shutter, I never think of one cut of the dead as a subtitled movie or um, tigers are not afraid. Oh, you know, I just think of it as a great movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just sort of quickly, you know, answer your question. It's, it's very similar to Sam. I always look for what excites me because what's going to excite me generally will excite other people who are interested in the things that I'm interested in, which, you know, one of those things is the horror genre, right? We're always looking for things that will surprise and delight. We talk about, we literally talk about surprising and delighting being one of our sort of core missions. And whether that's finding something old that we can, you know, bring to the surface again for the first time in decades, finding something new, making something new, you know, sometimes, and, and, uh, you know, I talked a little bit about this, but we try to move very quickly. And a lot of times a very crisp idea that seems obvious is the best one for us. Like host is the example we gave you, right? Someone said host zoom seance. We're in, you know, cursed films, which is one of my favorite series of all times. And it's just coming back with uh, a new episode this week, um, or a new season this week and a new episode. Um, but that was literally, uh, there's a woman who's no longer here named Robin who, who brought it to a, one of our development meetings. And she was like, curse films. And I was like, I am so into that. And, and there was no idea. It was just like, you know, it was just the two words. And I was like, I totally understand what that is. And we have to make that and we have to mm-hmm. do it in a, in a great way. That's not like the E true Hollywood story way, but a sort of thoughtful way. Um, and that became a, a, a huge hit for us. And it's because we loved it. Right. And if I know, like, if there's something out there that I love and Sam loves and Emily loves and Nick loves and Sean loves and Adam loves, then, you know, the, the audience is going to love it. So we're just always looking for that, whether it's in a script and a trailer in a finished movie, whatever form it is, if we get excited about it, we'll, we'll want to do it. I still hope you guys do one on three men and a baby. Cause that Ted Danson <laughs> thing, that still freaks me out and no one's ever getting, no one, I want the truth on that cursed film. So anyway. <laughs> oh my God. I never even got to ask about the day and date stuff that you guys do occasionally. Cause it's kind of, you guys have um, like the Joe Bob where everybody kind of tweets along and things oh, like that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The live, live the stuff. Live stuff yeah. it, it really harkens back to like a day and date television presentation, but you're doing it via a streamer, which is just, beautiful well, it's like the how do we do the best of both worlds right like yeah. how do we marry the video store experience with the streaming experience because there's there's wonderful aspects to both so how do we pick and choose what each experience gave us and put it in one and then mm-hmm. hopefully build something really kind of wonderful yeah. yeah you know it's funny when people don't don't know what joe bob is and i try to explain it to them i'm like well remember in the old days when they had a a, a movie host that would take you through the commercials well we don't have commercials we just interrupt the movie to talk about it and it's really fun. And they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm just like, just look at Twitter Friday night when it's running and, and you'll see all the enthusiasm and then you'll, you'll be able to jump in. But it is Joe Bob is, is a very particular, you know, the last drive in with Joe Bob Briggs, a very particular type of appointment viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that, you know, he has this long legacy talk about multiple iterations of the show, right? You know, this mm-hmm. is his third iteration of, of the show so he brings a built-in audience, but we also introduce him, you know, to, to new folks. But even the way that they think about the show, like, we're not going to tell you what the titles are. You have to show up <clears throat> Friday night at nine o'clock, and then you'll figure out. And then the, the most fun thing of all is when the movie title starts to trend on Twitter, we know people are, are yeah. super. Like, The Last Drive-In, so far, knock on wood, has always trended in the top ten on Twitter whenever we've run the show. But when it's like The Last Drive-In plus the movie title – we know that there's a ton of excitement around that. And so people are going to like 
just, you know, people see things, crazy movies trending that have not, you know, no one's talked about in 30 years. And suddenly they get to watch them for the first time. And that's really great. That's the best. Uh, we can't let you guys go without uh, to finish uh, each pick a spotlight on one film that's currently streaming on Shutter. We're going to we're going to do a few after you guys are gone each. But for each of you, just one right now. Go, Sam. Just one. Just, just one. one. That's just one. Uh, can't be eyes of fire. <laughs> frankly, fucked up. Um, to ask that of me. <laughs> um, mm, I am, um, you know, whenever I'm put in this position, I want to reach back to one of my favorites. So people may have heard me recommend this one before, but I honestly think it is one of the most visceral and really intense and cool movies we've ever released. And I always just want to get people's eyes on it. We released a movie called Cold Hell a few oh, years yeah. ago. Oh, yeah. That is this this incredible serial killer thriller uh, about a young woman. She's a, a cab driver, a Turkish immigrant in Vienna, witnesses a murder, and the serial killer comes after her. But uh, she also does MMA. So it is this kind of insane mix of 90s serial killer thriller, uh, Giallo, and I Saw the Devil kind of all at once. And Violetta Shkurlau, uh, I'm probably butchering her name, is an absolute star. I wish she kind of popped up. And she seems like one of those actors that would, would do something really intense in a European film and then suddenly be in Mission Impossible movies. And I kind of wish she was. Um, I, but I please go back and watch Cold Hell. I, I think it's one of the coolest movies we've ever released. And it, it, and it rips. It's just like it's a ripper. Sam, that's that was- why I asked for just one, because now that spotlight <laughs> is very firmly on it. <laughs> it's not being shared. No, that was one of our faves when that came out. Like, I remember us talking yeah, about that and just how tight the the first act of that is just brilliantly woven. And then it just picks up speed. So, yeah, great selection. I'm going to go with the Mortuary Collection, okay. which I have described as uh, what if Tim Burton did Creepshow, right? I mean, such a great movie. Ryan Smendel is an absolute genius. Every part of that movie is lovingly crafted, mm-hmm. uh, impeccably put together. And the sort of cherry on top is Clancy Brown, uh, who it not only is amazing in the movie, um, but he's amazing. He's on, he's a big guy on Twitter and he's amazing in supporting the movie and talking about him, talking about how much he loves it. So uh, it's a super fun movie. Definitely, I would say that is that is my like one of my favorite Halloween season mm-hmm. movies. Um, and you know, it's 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 got a lot of um, fun, shocking. Oh my god, I can't believe that happened. Moments as well, so I would totally recommend the Mortuary Collection. And it was our first episode, right? Of Becca, yeah, that we was our first. The show. Oh, excellent! Ryan yeah, came of the on, relaunch, yeah. we had Ryan. It was also on my list, so I'm just going to cross oh, that excellent. off and yeah. put another Good. one on there. Yeah, we'll um, yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. This has been just wonderful. More made-for-TV horror films, please. Uh, <laughs> I, I promise, I'm working on it. Okay, so dropping two titles for you. The Dark Secret of Harvest Home. Uh, I've been well, searching for for years. Becca, do you know that Harvest Home is my favorite horror novel ever? Are you written? serious? Yeah, I've never read the novel. Oh my gosh. I've you just- should. It's, it's, you know, when it like, it's the other, like, Eyes of Fire and Harvest Home to me are the best American folk horrors. Oh my, now I have to go back and read the novel. So yeah. I had rented a VHS copy of this from Eddie Brantz in North Hollywood before it closed down and watched it. And then later found out I was only watching half the film. Like they had taken what was a two part, like two hour mm. long thing and crushed it down to like 75 minutes. And I was just completely flummoxed. And now I've been dying to see the whole thing. Um, people, the other one? people across the lake. 
okay, is another cool. one. It exists on YouTube, but not great. I don't, so I don't refer one. people to it. Uh, I will. I will. I will do my best. Well, now that we're here, Excellent. Black Noon. That's what I'm going to throw in. Black Noon, right. like a a weird witch's western uh, from the 70s, I think. Uh, it's on YouTube, but it looks like crap. <laughs> anyway, th- thanks, guys. This has been awesome. There's a lot. I think a lot of people love using Shutter. I can tell mm-hmm. you, I've been you know the last four years, I would say, of teaching film. I think when I first started, I remember there would only be like one person in a class who wouldn't have known what Shutter was, who would be the hard horror fan, and I th- feel like anyone who like is into horror seems to know about it now. And they I, seem to talk about it at that excellent. age, which is I don't know cool. if you guys know this or not, but I require it for my horror class. Like I don't <laughs> yeah. make my students buy a textbook. I make them buy shutter. Um, so, and all of my screenings for the class come off whatever you guys are curating. So when I do the giallo, I immediately go through and see what's on there when That's we go so to seventies. Cool. So yeah, you guys are literally my textbook for the class. We'll, we'll add educating America's youth. To our, to our <laughs> surprise, delight and educate America's to. youth. All right. I always say I'm like, it's cheaper than a textbook and way better. So, but thank you guys for joining us today. Thanks Thanks so much. I'm very happy. I'll come back anytime. Cheers. Okay. Elric. Cool interview. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've always wanted to know the reason we wanted both because we've talked to Sam for, but I wanted to know the whole story of like how Shutter, the mechanics of what it is, how it works, and so that was perfect. It was like all the things I've always kind of wanted to know about how that works. Yeah. Um. And plus, we have some recommendations right now. We have obviously all of the amazing titles that we talked about during that interview. Um. But also, we're gonna hit you with some other ones that if you have not seen are currently streaming on Shutter that you really need to check out. Yeah, some quick recs. A couple that I just want to remind people from the interview, like things that you'll only see there. Uh, We talked about obviously highlighting anytime the Devils pops up there, you Mm -hmm. don't know for how long it will be there. Um, So make sure you see the Devils if you haven't. And Livid is definitely the other one because it's just one of those movies that we've talked about quite a lot over the years and has been really hard to see. And the fact that it's on there, you, again, it might, we don't know how long that French extreme section will be on there. So make sure you see those two, um, you know, and then we'll, we'll throw out a couple more. Yeah. I'll also say within that, before we do our other titles, Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker was one that mm-hmm. I mentioned um, that this was super hard to see for a really long time. So, and Eyes of Fire as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, both of those super hard to see for a really long time. They're really deep cut horror movies. So being able to watch them um, on Shutter, do not miss that opportunity because who knows how long they'll be there so yeah definitely okay three quick wrecks what do you what do we got i'm gonna start so this one um i talked about probably six years ago on shockwaves we counted down i don't even remember what it was it may have been like our favorite 2000s films or something like that but i had it on my list and it's on shutter right now and that is dream home which is a hong kong horror film um, by Pan Ho Chun. I'm probably saying that wrong and I do apologize. Um, from 2010, this is about this girl who dreams of living in this like beautiful high rise apartment, but she cannot afford it. She's trying to find everything she can do to, um, make herself financially viable. And she can't because right now there's no availability. So she starts killing the tenants. This film, it's fucking brutal this is one of those i remember seeing this in the theater and just completely shocked that this exists like how goddamn brutal it is 
at the same time, it's a comedy in the fact that um, some of the setups are hilarious and you feel shitty for laughing at them, but you still laugh. Like it is very much a dark comedy in the way that it is shot and prevent presented. Um, this is one that was a little bit harder to find for a while. They did do a Blu-ray release, but hey, it is on Shutter right now, so do not miss that opportunity. If you are just looking for a viewing experience like no other, where you are going to laugh and just watch some of, honestly, the most brutal kills you have ever seen, Dream Home. It's right there. I still haven't done it. When it first came out, I watched like two minutes and just like tonally, I didn't connect good, but I didn't know what it was yet. And I hadn't heard anyone recommend it. So years later now, I need to see that film. Keep going. It is, okay. it is, I can't call it a treat. I can call it a wild bonkers fucking ride. It is just wild. Okay. Well, okay. Mine's way, way not classy. Um, But this is from one of the Arrow box sets, American horror projects, which are just like always the ones I'm always most interested in. And usually if there's a box of three, one I really like, two and a couple I'm like lukewarm on usually. Um, the one I really liked from the last set was called The Child. And this is, um, he, the guy only made one movie from 1977, and it's very handmade, very, it looks almost like it's on Super 16, and it's like this young girl gets a housekeeping job in the middle of this countryside house, and she has to look after the daughter, and the daughter's kind of weird, and it's kind of like got like bad sound where it's, it sounds like, you know, non-sync and stuff at times. So the first 30 minutes, I was like, oh, I don't know about this movie. Like, I almost turned turned it off and then you start to realize oh no this girl has this weird power and at some point you realize she has this ability to like basically resurrect the dead and they're all her friends and they're like zombies and so suddenly this film takes this hard turn at the halfway mark where crazy becomes this crazy like ghoul demons type movie out of nowhere really and it's it's really cool it's like a movie that suddenly gets really i think fun and interesting rural weird horror so uh definitely always like to recommend the child when i can and you know cheaper than buying the box set <laughs> right there <laughs> so check. the next one i'm gonna recommend is the film that led me to subscribe to shutter in the first mm. place and they mentioned it briefly in our interview um that this was one of the first ones that they acquired as like an exclusive you can only see this on shutter and goddamn it was so worth the the subscription that month and that is sadako versus kiyako this is literally the ring versus the grudge. That's and because right. they got this when Shudder was first starting out, I've discovered that not a lot of horror fans have seen this. And it is so freaking fun. It is everything that you would want in kind of a versus movie. Think like Freddy versus Jason or like Godzilla yeah. versus, you know, random Gamera or whoever. You know, it's all of that. Um, it is not going to take itself as seriously as most of the Ring series does or most of the Grudge series does or Ringu and Juwan. Um, it definitely takes itself as a versus film the way that they meet, the setup, the battles between the two of them. It's an absolute trip and it's really well made. I had a blast with this Did movie. Did we have the director on our sh- on our old show? I thought we I don't had. think so. Koji Shirashi. Oh no, maybe it's a late ring no, it's a late ring movie. What we had or a ring remake of some kind. We did Oh, oh, we did have one of the ring remake like, yeah. uh people on. I think that was a Shockwaves episode. Yeah, and I never no. saw that film though. I still hadn't seen it. Yeah, so this is um straight up Sadako versus Kyako, uh Ringu versus Juan and it is I mean it's got some scary moments, but mostly it's just a, oh my God, thank the many gods this film exists and that somebody can make something this crazy. 
Yeah, no, that's a good one. Um, one of my faves of the last couple of years, I discovered off for a deep cuts, even though I'd seen it like 20 years ago because it's Australian, but it was impossible to find outside of VHS. And it's very cool as part of the um, the box set of folk horror, but it's really cool that now it's uh, on Shutter, And that is Allison's Birthday. Big fan of this one. Like, I think this is just a very underrated, uh, underseen film because it touches on a couple of movies everyone loves. It opens with, it's uh, set with like young girls doing kind of a seance Ouija board kind of scene at start, which goes real bonkers. And something is one of the girls singled out that it, when she turns 19, something terrible is going to happen. And you're like, oh. So then, of course, it cuts to, you know, the, the weeks leading up to her 19th birthday. And she's like, why have my parents, you know, my there's actually step you know adopted parents um why are they acting so weird and about this get together on my 19th birthday and everyone starts getting really strange and it's very modern it's a very modern australian character and she's got a boyfriend who's really cool and you start to realize like there's something going on and you start to see it's almost like a mixture not style wise at all but definitely a mixture of the story of suspiria mixed with get out vibes because the it's really what they're planning for her is a get out kind of thing but but what we're seeing is almost like a witch coven from greece have come to did this you part just of say coven uh coven like oven <laughs> <laughs> um you can't say coven like oven um <laughs> but but yeah no and it's and, but where it goes is so interesting and so fun and like kind of crazy um i had never really seen a movie like that made in australia at that point this is from 81 so um it was one that i just remembered the cover when i was growing up and i think i started on vhs back in the day but yeah this is a real cool discovery and it's good that there's a pretty good looking version now so allison's birthday so this one the last one i'm going to talk about it's recent but i think it's underseen so i will say it's not exactly horror i consider it to be more science fiction or more like time loop horror like something like the endless mm-hmm. so this is called time lapse and time lapse and it is from 2014 directed by bradley king and the setup is that this group of um, roommates, it's two guys and a girl, if I'm remembering correctly, Um, they discover a camera that when they take a picture, it will show whatever they are taking a picture of exactly one day in the future. You recommended this to me a long time ago like, and I watched back it. And I actually liked, no, I liked it. I, when yeah. I saw it, I actually liked it. It was cool. And it's it's just a fun little time loop movie. It's very much kind of like a time crimes where it's all about time continuity and what happens if you fuck it up. And, you know, they're immediately like trying to figure out how to profit. So taking pictures of lottery tickets to and what's in the paper the next day so they can predict news and stock reports and stuff like that. Um, and then it goes completely in horrible, horrible ways. So it's not a horror in that, you know, there's no boogeyman or zombies that are going to jump out, but it's just a really tight little time loop psychological thriller, um, very science fiction. And this one, I, I think it's highly underseen. I haven't talked to a lot of people who have seen Time Lapse, but I really enjoy it. And I was really excited when I saw it on Shutter because that means that somebody else thought it was cool too. Yeah, yeah. Now, the shutter's good like that to make you feel like your weird pick was right. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I'm going to, it's it's fitting. I'm going to end with the best film of all time. Black Roses. <laughs> so awesome. I will agree uh, with this. Uh, Black Roses is probably like my, like, it's just, of all the movies I've watched in the last couple of years, for some reason, and I even, I even did it on stage at the New Beverly. I talked about this one when I did teen movies. <laughs> 
<laughs> this was my like one of my top choices because I don't know what it is because there's parts of it. Yes, I know parts are like actually bad, but there's something about it that I find so fun because these demon and you know me, I'm not like metal guy, but there's something about the demons coming Leonard in. Leonard Cohen. I love Leonard. They should have come in as Cohen, um, but they de- the demons come in to hypnotize this uh, this town, and they're either I, I think the scene that really gets me into this movie is they come in, and of course everyone's worried about them corrupting the youth, so the you know the local uh, PTA and you know teacher they come to see a test version of the band's playing the band's playing like so soft and gentle and they're all like playing almost like they almost feel like uh, something Kirk Cameron would be going to or something like I don't know and then then the parents leave and the adults leave and suddenly they go you know complete zombie metal and it's really fun but there's some just I think it's the practical gore gags and Mm -hmm. effects that get me to really like this one and for me it's from 88 but I think this one was so hard to see like when I first saw it I had to like go deep to go looking for it there's um, um, you know, a DVD from Synapse, but that has been out of print for a while. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what I mean. And and so it's been really hard, but then it did pop up really recently um, on Shudder. And so I think it's a really cool chance for people to see Small Town, uh, Goopy Effects, Metal. I, you like Purse as much as I like. What's the one um, that you really like? Where he's... Rock and Roll Nightmare. I haven't. Well, that's the same director, right? John Fazano. Yeah, I, I love Rock and Roll I Nightmare. I haven't seen that one yet. But the what's the one that everyone loves um, with Skippy? Oh, Street. Yeah, trick or treat, which is also great. But I've like personally, Black Roses is just a little bit more my jam. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the goofiness of it. It's just a freaking strange movie. Anyway, so if you haven't seen that, Black Roses, that is my favorite here. And and I did have to put a, one plug. All three Maniac Cop films are on there, well, so fine. you could have a good time there. I will put in my plug. Fate yeah. to Black is on yes. there, which for a long time was like the holy grail of unobtainable movies. Yeah. Of like, well, nobody can ever put out Fade to Black, and they did. Um, and oh, that's it's a really cool shutter. And surprisingly serious. Like it's mm-hmm. like an interesting serious film. But yeah, there, we could make a list of a hundred movies pretty easy that are on there right now because they really do have a deep selection. So yeah. um so yeah, thanks for them to come on. Hopefully well, you guys Before some we cool move film. past um heavy metal horror, let me just say how excited I was to see the Stranger Things trailer this week. Ooh, I haven't and watched it. And to see it's got heavy metal horror in it. Like you're only seeing glimpses of it, but I mean it's eighties. I would have been remiss had they not put in some heavy metal horror, but it is right there, ready to go. Yeah, um, man, you know so- I love that Sonic Youth. <laughs> yeah, that, that. I <laughs> That's what you- I was doing while you guys were listening to metal in the 80s. I was listening to Sonic Youth, so I don't know what to tell you. And Violent Fans. I told Sorry, you I that I ran into Lee Ronaldo at a pink fairy in New York City, and I told him I owned his poetry book once. Oh, yeah, he is. <laughs> like- oh, yeah. I love all of the people in that band. Anyway, they're all my faves. But um, yeah, so I'm going to fail the cool uh, metal test, but that's okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm excited to see more Stranger Things, actually. It's been, I like a show that doesn't, I really like that about that they haven't rushed each season. Yeah. And and that, you know, for quality reasons, if you're going to be around this long, like it, they're probably going to deliver. So And it hasn't overstayed its welcome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the new season, even if it is the last one. I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, no, hopefully they do. I'm looking forward to it. So yes, yeah, so, but oh, by we, the uh, way, did you watch the season finale of Severance? Oh, how did we not talk about that up top? That was oh god, it was plan. so good. Severance is one of the best shows on TV. I think around episode three and four, I was almost coming out of it because I thought it was going to be like lost and just kind of go in circles and never be too intellectual and never go somewhere. But man, the last three episodes go to such an emotionally interesting idea that mm-hmm. I loved it. 
And I, by the end, it's one of the best things I've seen this year. Oh my so. God. It just left me hanging so much to the point where I was like, I don't think I can wait a year for no, another yeah. episode. Like it just gets so good. Yeah. The character oh. interplay in the last two episodes is just like, all right, this is, and the best bromance on screen right now. Best bromance by it's, far. It's a beautiful thing with uh, Christopher Walken and John Turturro, two guys yep. you never thought would have have those it's, feelings on screen. It's so, so fun. Um, no, it's a great, so- really good show. So it's worth getting Apple TV for that. If you yeah. Want. If you guys have not checked it out, I can't call it exactly horror but it definitely it's sci-fi it's it feels sci-fi. it's very horror sci-fi it's yeah. scary sci-fi um yeah. while also being dark comedy at the same time yeah so. no it, it, i had to stick with it at initially but it's really good yeah. um so thanks for ricking that to me as well yeah um, well, cool. thank you guys so much for listening. If you are missing some deep cuts on our, or our some, <laughs> as I fluff up our plug, um, if you are missing Color of the Dark on our down week, definitely head over to our Patreon and check out our Patreon show, Deep Cuts, which is where we stash all the really weird shit. Like I watched Beyond the Darkness, La Casa 5, um, which I will be discussing on Deep Cuts this week. So yeah, yeah, along with some other wild and wacky gems. But thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back in another two weeks um, to have a show. And then we will be dark for a couple of weeks while we both go shoot movies. Could be a couple of months, not Co- a couple of weeks. Oh, oh, could, could oh don't, day. don't. I can't get delayed that much, dude. You, you know, no. we'll, we'll see how long you're But yeah, we, we will be off for a while. But don't forget, there also is time to vote for the Rondos. This might be the oh, last cool. week. Yeah. So if, so if you can do that. Uh, vote for us or other things you love if you can and um yeah and and then we'll be back yeah we'll be back in a couple weeks for a a mid-season cliffhanger yeah thank you guys so much have a great night The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 